This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Hello and welcome to our Bet Show Highlights podcast at Teachers Talk Radio. We have got an incredible lineup of speakers, contributors on the podcast coming up for you. I hope you're settled in and ready to listen and come along for a teaching and learning journey with us, starting with our fantastic interview with author and poet Michael Rosen. And then we have more than 20 other people who visited the Teachers Talk Radio stand at the Bet Show for you to enjoy. Quick mention for our fantastic partners on this podcast, New Line Interactive, who produce amazing digital tools, including fantastic screens uh, for teachers to use in their classrooms. Really recommend checking them out at the New Line Interactive website uh, to have a look at the products and the things that they can do for you in your school. It was, uh, for, on a personal level, it was brilliant to be able to work with, with Poppy Gibson, John Gibbs, Mark Nichols, uh, Seema was there, and also uh, the brilliant Leanne Lax uh, popped into our stand as well. Um, it was brilliant to work with the Teacher Talk Radio team at The Bet Show. Huge thanks to them uh, for the content that you're going to hear today, because it was certainly a team effort in producing all of the content. So please, uh, I hope whether you're commuting to a place of work, whether you're relaxing, whether you're pottering, um, we know you're going to love uh, the following interviews. So thank you very much and enjoy your listening. This is Teachers Talk Radio at The Bet Show. Hello, everybody. and Welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio at The Bet Show. I'm delighted to be joined now by legendary poet, author, thinker. Um, I can't think of anything else, Michael. The list could go on and on, uh, Michael Rosen, um, who's here with us today. Um, Michael, we are Teacher Talk Radio, so I'm going to be asking you about some sort of education slash teaching topics today. Um, but I thought I'd start just briefly with what you're doing here at The Bat Show. Uh, I'm here doing two or three things. I was talking about a book I wrote called Right to Feel Right, which is about, uh, it's a book for, for children, uh, probably primary age, but could be for lower secondary. Um, and it's a little book uh, published by Collins, which is about how you can write about emotions and feelings and difficult thoughts that you have. Um, so it's really a kind of guide for, for young people. Um, it's just a little booklet. Yeah, I was talking about that because I've tried to cope with various trauma, bereavement, uh, loss, yeah. um, things like that in my life. And so it was informed by that. So I'm in a way trying to pass on some advice to children as to how they can write maybe to release these difficult thoughts and feelings that you have in your head. So that was the main thing. And then the other thing was some awards um, for uh, basically children have been going around this huge exhibition and picking what are their favorites, what they think are the most useful uh, things. stalls, things, products, if you like. And we were handing out prizes. So I, I was helping with I that. Saw, I saw that bit as well. Um, you had a very busy day. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about education and teaching. So, to start off with, what what to you makes a good teacher? Um, 
it's a bit difficult because I don't want to kind of point the finger at sort of one teacher, as it were. But in my experience, in other words, with the teachers I had at school, teachers I've worked with, and I've worked yeah. with many teachers. And just your opinion on, yes. on the same group, um, yeah, that you've worked with. I think it's teachers who know how to handle the curriculum, whatever is given to them, but manage to deliver it, if I'm going to use the jargon, they manage to deliver it in ways that are very imaginative, very creative, and manage to find the spaces in between the stuff that they have to do to actually enable children to express themselves and to investigate and study things for themselves. Because there's a lot of material that teachers have to pass on to children, call that the curriculum. But in actual fact, we know it's very important for children to uh, find out things for themselves, research things, and also to express themselves. And I found that teachers who manage to do that as well as delivering of the more instructional side, those are my favorite teachers. Because there's been a real trend, um, particularly sort of in the last five, 10, 15 years maybe, towards sort of, um, I guess, like teacher-led, you know, more sort of teacher-led, direct instruction. Um, are you sort of against that? Or are you sort of, I mean, would you like to see more, I don't know, inquiry-based learning, children finding things out for themselves? Well, I'm not against instruction. I'm not against that. I'm a product of it. You know, I went to an ordinary state primary school, then I went to two grammar schools. Uh, there was a lot of information passed over to us at those grammar schools. Yeah. I did French, German, Latin, history, geography, biology, all those subjects. As it happens, the biology was very interesting, and this is what partly informs me. We had a teacher who knew she had to get through the curriculum for O-level, as it was called then, GCSEs, but she'd spent an enormous amount of time encouraging us to investigate the very thing that she was teaching. So to take one example, so the issue of chlorophyll in leaves. Okay, okay. so it's a piece of classic information. Yeah. Now you can stand out the front and lecture a group of children and tell them chlorophyll forms in leaves and this enables photosynthesis to take place. Photosynthesis is as follows. But she got us to experiment with putting things on geranium leaves and to see what would happen if you obscured the geranium leaf and why it went white and whether that enabled the plant to photosynthesize or not. And one child in our class said, um, do you know, if you put dark stuff onto a leaf, does that mean if you used what we used to call photonegatives, which were the opposite of the positive of a photograph, yeah. yeah, would that mean that if you put it onto the leaf, you could actually put yourself, a picture of your face, onto a geranium leaf? Okay. And our teacher, all credit to her, Miss Pope, she said, I don't know. Of course she did. Of course she did, but she said... I don't know. Shall we see if we can find out? Yeah. So there was a whole thing about putting them in, in cupboards and stuff. I forget the exact bit. And sure enough, out it came. And we had pictures of ourselves on the geranium leaves. And she wow. was so over the moon. Yeah. And that was an experiment devised by a 15, 16-year-old. All right. And that was the kind of teacher she was. So that, that's a, I always think of that as an example of how to deliver the curriculum, but encourage and enable the creativity of the children in the class. Do you think that, I mean, you, you might not know this, but one of, one of sort of, I guess one of my concerns I've had over the, over the last year sort of, I mean, I'm still a history, I'm a part-time history teacher now, is, because that sort of plays into what you're saying, is the sort of maverick teachers, I would call them. Teachers who 
sort of go off on tangents and sort of are more um, I don't know, sort of, uh, well, we call them mavericks or eccentric. I mean, there is but that thing But it could of, just be, you of, say that, you say that, but it could just be flexible. I mean, absolutely. The, the problem with maverick and eccentric is we tend yeah. to park it and say, those are the people over there. That's the, you know, the nutty professor or something. And the problem is, is we're not, it's not actually what we're talking about. No. You see, what Miss Pope did then was, she knew in the back of her mind, I've got to do chlorophyll, photosynthesis, osmosis and all the rest, yeah? And then because this child said they were thinking about negatives, positives, yeah. and the rest of it, she, as it were, rewarded that. She didn't just go, well, I don't know, and we haven't got time. Yeah. She made the space for it. So I'm not going to call her eccentric, and I'm not no. going to call her maverick. I'm going to call her flexible, because that showed to me that she could accept and admire the, the creativity and learning that, that a child was bringing to this subject. Because if you think about it, that, I've, I've forgotten which, which one of our mates did it, but the point was that was somebody yeah. applying one bit of science to another bit of science, which after all, I mean, uh, you know, I'll try to avoid generalizations, but it's probably how the major breakthroughs in science have taken place. Just take one example, DNA. Yeah. So in order to find out the structure of DNA, there were all the geneticists and so on, but it actually took X-ray crystallography to find out the structure of DNA. And then they had to sit there and go, well, how come when a, a male and a female come together, the chromosomes don't all double up? So therefore, there has to be some structure that is enabled to peel off and then attach again. How would that work? And they played around, yeah. these people, with, I think, possibly pipe cleaners and things like that to work out. They had to apply one bit of science to another bit of science, one bit of technology to another bit. They had to be creative and flexible. And the idea, I mean, I'll give you one example. My son came back, he said, I've got homework to do. And I said, what is it? And he said, it's extraction of metal from ore. And I said, all right, um, have you been experimenting with that in class? He said, no. I said, what have we got to do then? And he said, and he opened the textbook. And there were two pages on the extraction of metal from ore. And I said, do you know what ore is? He said, no, I don't know. I have no idea, Dad. Can we get on? And I said, well... If you've got to do this, what is ore? And so he had never handled any rock with ore in it. As it happens, I've walked in Yorkshire. And in Yorkshire, you come across these rusty stones. There's ore. You can see it. I mean, I know it may not sound exciting, but, you know, you just wish that somehow the teacher had brought in some chunks of ore, you know, and, and said, well, believe it or not, or what do you think's in this? What color is it? Do you know any kind of metal that goes kind of brown? Why? You know, and, and then you'd be right into it. And instead, there was this picture at the top of the page. It looked like a potato stuck at the top of the page, and it said, ore. And he didn't know whether it was a potato or a sponge or whatever. He had no idea. He'd never met the word ore before. O-R-E. You know, we say it in the South, ore. Sounds like A-W. I mean, obviously, in Ireland and elsewhere in America, they say ore. At least you've got the R in it. Ore. What is ore? You know what I mean? And then there was this set of equations and stuff down below. And it was so abstract, so far away from the idea of smashing up bits of rock and getting the metal out. And what an incredible discovery that was by humanity to be able to do that. Oh, none of it there. Would you sort of sympathize with a teacher who said, you know, I, I want to be maybe more, more creative or innovative, but because of behavior, issues in the classroom or the challenges I'm facing there, I, I just can't do it. 
Well, I have every sympathy. I think there's too much in the curriculum. I think, you know, we've worshipped at the God, the knowledge-led curriculum, without looking closely at who children are, what people need to learn, how they need to learn, how they may need diverse and different ways of learning, the idea of making everything so instrumental. And here was my lad, and I could see he was in at the deep end. There's just two pages, and he was just had to learn it. And it seems to me that I've totally sympathised with the teachers because there's too much of it. They, they can see, they come in, you know, this is um, year nine, isn't it? They're coming in at year nine or year ten, and they've got this huge mountain they know they've got to get through. So they've worked out how many lessons, how many minutes, and then if there's a minute lost, they're going, oh, my goodness, they're not going to yeah. be able to cover yeah. electrolysis. No, we didn't do electrolysis. Oh, well, homework, electrolysis, and just dump it on them. And no, I don't blame the teachers at all. I utterly blame the curriculum designers, and I'm afraid the examiners, and originally I'm afraid a certain person who we don't need to name, who thought this was all a fantastic idea because he read a book once by somebody called Hirsch. And then he read this book and decided this is what we all need, otherwise China and um, Korea and Singapore will beat us. And education and the purpose of education was laid to one side and they made predictions about what we will need in the new world, whatever this is going to be. Well, well they have no more idea about it than, than you or me. I mean, it's guesswork. We don't know. We don't know the future. And they decided what the future is, is knowledge. And that if people haven't got knowledge and have got all this stuff, then somehow or other, we, Britain, would fall behind. I've got my last question now. Um, so I, I don't know whether you've noticed the controversy recently over Ofsted. Yes. And we've seen um, many sort of controversies in the last few weeks. I wonder if you had any thoughts on that and the way in which the current inspection system is set up for schools in, in, in the UK and, and sort of wider worries you, you have about the education system in, in England and, and the UK in general. Right. My view of Ofsted is that it's wrong for several reasons. The main reason is, is that it's punitive. And it's been punitive for many years. That's to say, Ofsted come in, and if you fail, whatever that means, then that school, that staff, that whole community is regarded yeah. as a failure. Yeah. This seems to me a completely misguided and wrong way to run education. I've seen schools fail. I know about schools failing. What schools, when schools fail, what they need is help, not punishment. You know, we're not talking about crime. We're not talking about somebody who's shot somebody. We're talking about teachers trying to do their best, maybe struggling with all sorts of very difficult situations, not of their own making. Sometimes teachers with not very much experience. That's not their fault. That's not a crime. Well, do you know what we used to have in the 50s and the 60s? We had the idea that experienced teachers help less experienced teachers. It's a basic principle. Teaching involves knowledge, training, experience, personality, involves a huge range of abilities and facilities and emotions. And if you just simply narrow it down to they're not doing this in the way that I, Ofsted, in my, my supreme knowledge say, fail, and then all sorts of other big things start happening like being put under special measures or turning into an academy or even closing the school or whatever, leaving that generation of that group in that locality all feeling that the time is wasted, they are failures. What have you achieved? 
what have you achieved? You haven't improved the quality of education in that locality. So, you know, if I could wave a magic wand, it would be that schools that, all schools would be able to draw on the, it's built into the system. Teachers with experience, teacher trainers with experience, work with teachers in schools, and that that experience is what beds in. Whatever structure you use, whether it's seminars, whether it's cooperation between schools, um, uh, whether, whichever principle you use, and there are various models that are possible, and you keep that going, you bed that as in the system. And insofar as you have inspection, it's purely in order to make some kind of overall view of comparability, but not in order to punish people and to give guidance to those experienced teachers and say, well, you know, there's some other things I saw down the road, but you keep in-service training going, you know, as, a, as part of the job. It shouldn't be some, you know, who wants to go on this course, or there's a course down the road I think you all ought to go on, or something like that. It should be just built in. So in-service training by experienced teachers and teacher trainers should be just built into the job. That's in, that should be in the contract. Some teachers actually tried to block Ofsted inspections in, in protest in recent events. They actually said, you know, you're not coming in, think about Flora Cooper, think about other head teachers, so you, you, you know, we're not doing it. Do you think that's the right approach? I mean, do you back that sort of like more radical action to try and change the system? I respect teachers for doing that because they're sick and tired of it. And when people in employment of any sort get sick and tired, it's their conditions of work. If you want a trade union bit of jargon, it is their conditions of work. They are finding their conditions of work insupportable. Ideally, they should work through the union. They should work through the union, otherwise they'll get isolated and get picked off. So that's all I say as an experienced yeah. trade unionist myself. Work through the union and, and make sure that you don't get picked off. And at the same time, of course, criticize Ofsted as I'm doing now, but pose an alternative. Because what will happen is the government will go and say, pick this group off and say, look at them. They don't like having quality control. They don't like being monitored. They don't want to raise standards. And what we have to show whenever we criticize, we have to say, we have an alternative. Let's look at what they do in other countries. Let's look and see, uh, in fact, look at the old models that were used in this country in the 50s with the old HMI, Her Majesty's, His Majesty's, as it depends what it is, inspectorate. Instead of sidelining the HMI, find a way in which they can be brought in. So these are the, so that's all I would say, and yeah. I'm not saying this in any patronizing way, it's just someone who's been around the houses and back, been around the schools and back. Be careful, get support through the union, and keep coming up with suggestions. I've only made one or two. But there are great ways to advise teachers and build it in. You should, it should be in our teachers' contract that they get in-service training as, as part of it. And in-service training would do much more than, you know, Ofsted inspectors arriving at a school that they know little or nothing about. I'll tell you very quickly a story. I arrived in a school and the head teacher was in despair. He virtually had his head and his hands on his desk and I said what's the problem and he said we've had Ofsted in here and they're looking at my marks in year six and he said look the children I'm looking at their marks from year one and they haven't improved into year six and you know what he said to them they're not the same children there's got a high churn in this school we have a refugee hostel nearby all right they're not the same children you know what the Ofsted inspector said that's got nothing to do with it 
So just figure that. Ofsted inspectors said we're only looking at numbers, not at children. We know what kind of culture believes in that, that people are only numbers. You know, people like George Orwell wrote about it, you know, or Aldous Huxley. They wrote about the idea of a society reduced to numbers. That's what was going on. That's why that head teacher was in despair, because Ofsted said, I'm not interested in the children, only the numbers, even though it wasn't the same children. So that head teacher had children in year six who'd only been there for about a term. It was incredible and wonderful and brilliant that they were speaking any English. You know, how many Ofsted inspectors have learned English in six weeks, eight weeks, two terms? Those children will be bilingual within a year. How many of them are like that? They should be worshipping at those children's feet. Those children go home and they translate for their parents at the local doctor's surgery and with any advice they need from the Citizens Advice Bureau. I've interviewed people on the radio about this. These children operate bilingually. And instead of that, the teacher was saying, this school is failing. That's the craziness of what you get. And that teacher, that head teacher, was suffering because he was told he was a failure. He wasn't a failure. That's completely wrong. Completely wrong. Michael, very conscious you've given a huge amount of your time already. Thank you ever so much for, for joining us for this interview. It's been really interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Teachers Talk Radio at The Bet Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Bet Show. Uh, once again, I've actually found some teachers, not just teachers, head teachers um, here, uh, which I was very excited about last night. Because let's be honest, at the Bet Show, it is quite hard to find teachers sometimes. Um, is it is a, a trade show ultimately? So let me utilise this time. Can you guys introduce yourselves first? So my name is Amy Stora. I am the head teacher of Say Tuna Primary in Derby. I'm Richard Jones. I'm also the head teacher with Cohex together of Say Tuna Primary, which is a school of Islamic distinctiveness in the East Midlands. Brilliant. Now, first question is about co-headship. It's um, amazing. Do yeah. you get on well? Do we get on well? When, when do, you, do you have like arguments, no, heated no. arguments? We do not, not in a bad way. I mean, no. like debates. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah but last for like an hour, hours. Yeah. Yeah, it could, it could do, but I think we're always debating or arguing right things in terms of we're very similar, aren't we? in our approach and in our values and in what we know to be the best thing for our children. The way we go about things can be quite different. And sometimes the things that Amy will attend to, I'm like, no, don't worry about that. And vice versa, I think that's where we then have our great challenge. Uh, I was going to ask you actually, this is a nice follow-up question. Um, and whoever answers this first is probably at a bit of an advantage. But, um, what is your sort of pet peeve in people? Ooh, generally. Yeah. Um, like I, your top pet peeve. My top pet peeve, okay. So that would be when there is a disconnect between what people say and what people do. Values again. So if you're going to say something, make sure you follow it up, follow through. And equally, if you know you can't do that, just don't say it in the first place. My one comes down to values, so I find it really difficult to sometimes connect with people when our values don't align. Um, 
However, I also believe that we should think generously of people and therefore we, we come from a position where we seek to understand. So we might disagree, but actually it's about understanding why we disagree and doing it in a kind way. And to add to that, I think you've been pretty succinct, but I felt like you wanted to add something. No, no, I, I agree with that. And we're all, you don't know what you don't know, and we're all learning, aren't we? So it's, I, I think our job as head teachers is to make sure that we've got the right people in the right place at the right time, and that if there, there is that area of development that's needed, we, we put the resources in place to make that happen. Um, again... Leading on from that, you've co-head teachers at primary level. What's the biggest challenges at the moment for you as school leaders? Because there's been a lot of publicity. A lot of head teachers particularly have talked recently about the pressure they're under, whether it be funding pressures, whether it be Ofsted, whether it be whatever. I wondered which ones are you sort of, yeah, that's a challenge for me. And which ones are you like, you know what, actually I saw that. But that's not actually really that much of a problem for, yeah. for me. It's so, so for, I think for us, um, and certainly over the last four years, it's around the level of funding that we receive at school. I think head teachers will always do the very best that we can with the money that we're given. However, that's sometimes difficult. And we're trying to create conditions where every single one of our children are able to be their very, very best. And we have got an incredible group of people working with us to help to achieve that. But it's difficult when you're not give, being given the money that you need to do that properly. But let's dig into this, because last night on TTR, we had Mark Lahane on. You'll have to listen back to it. I haven't listened to it yet. So I don't know what he said. What I do know is his blog that he wrote. Um, I don't want to quote because I haven't listened to what he said. Like He may have clarified the things he said in the blog, so I don't want to sort of misquote him. Mark, if you're listening, apologies if there's anything I'm about to say that is wrong. But I think one of Mark Lehane's uh, points was that the there has to be a point where schools and teachers, in comparison to, to other public sector professions, have to say, yeah, we've got enough now. There has to be, when it comes to money, when it comes to pay, funding, there has to be a line where they say, that's enough. Um, now, now, that was his argument. Um, so, I guess, I guess my question is, what, when you, we hear people say all the time, funding, lack of funding, what are the pinch points in the funding? What are the things you don't have enough money for? So Where's the money going? I think just to go back to what you just said a minute ago around there has to be a line where you say that enough funding is enough. In that case, then, there has to be a line when the government, Ofsted, organisations who make policy around education say we're not going to put anything else onto schools. And that comes back to um, a much bigger picture around properly funding things like social care, early health, making sure that um, community facilities are in place. Because a lot of those things that have previously been done in the, the local community or by other organisations have been passed on to schools with no additional funding. So, so give, me, take, give me an example though. Give me an so, example um, of something. So we, social care. So Derby City Council, um, which we're the local authority where we are, where our school is situated, have 
uh, a big gap in their budgets, I think. And a section of that, a proportion of that, is coming out of early help. What that means is what would normally have been done in terms of an early help assessment, in terms of accessing additional support within the local community, um, is now not being done by them, it's being done by the pastoral teams at school on top of everything else that we would Which do means you the then have to pay those salaries yeah, so for the pastoral like, teams, the, the building, the, the, the electric, yeah, all that sort of stuff. It's either additional. Um, so we're talking like preschool here, we're talking like 7 a.m. I'm talking in the day, in a, in a school, we're talking like additional hours in a day that the school's funding that didn't it didn't fund before? Not, 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 not necessarily, no. It's, I suppose when you look at it, it's either additional bodies to do that, that role throughout the day or... Yeah. Um, so pastoral support staff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we are fortunate that we've, we've got a strong pastoral team. But again, in a growing school, post-pandemic, where we're not just dealing with the educational hangover, we're dealing with significant um, SEMH need and BEMH need in a landscape of growing complex needs for almost uh, our youngest children coming in, all of those challenges, schools are being told, deal with it. Do what you can, and, and we will, because, because that's our moral duty. School, there is no head teacher up and down the land who's saying, look, we do it, we do it. But that's against that backdrop of really tight budgets, time pressures, on top of all of the other bits around standards, around attendance, around attainment. What about teaching assistants? Is that sort of one as well in, in terms of one way you'd like to have more or are you sort of okay on that one, on that count? I think it's about having, uh, we try not to have a hierarchy within our school, so it's about the best people being at their best at the role that they're asked to do. Um, and we have got an incredible team at our school. They are committed, they're fun, everything is about our children. They are so passionate about developing themselves and therefore we have got, we've got an awesome team, haven't we? Yeah, we have. So I wouldn't say that is an issue for us. Um, however, that's not always been the case. Yeah. So if you, if you got an extra whatever amount of money now, you're saying you'd spend it on additional pastoral support, whether that be staff or resources or whatever. Slap around. Is that what I'm asking? If you had extra money now, what you'd spend it on? Wrap around care is one of the biggest things. I think we need to be careful when we say extra money because, yes, there might be another lump sum that comes in that will backfill where we've taken it from already. Oh, no, I know. I know, but I'm saying if the budget went up every year now and you had extra money every year, not extra money, additional money every year, what you would spend it on? Staffing. Um, that personal development and pastoral care are the biggest areas of need at the minute. Staffing is our biggest resource, but it's making sure, and I've said this several times, it's getting the right people in the right place. So although our staff team has grown, um, and we're very lucky in that we've got a really good uh, network of support staff, their roles have changed because schools are being forced, almost if you like, to make decisions around whether you have a teaching and learning TA who supports with teaching and learning in the classroom, or whether they transition over to become more bespoke, one-to-one, send SEMH. So I think that's where the, the, the balance has tipped a bit, isn't it? So that's where I would address that balance. Got you. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, 
of the staff in the school, um, I mean, what are their concerns? Because you've said funding for you as the school leaders. Yeah. What are their challenges? I think it is. It's it's not necessarily funding for them, although we are very open in how we yeah. communicate our budget and our budgetary decisions. For them, it is. it comes back to the level of need that we are experiencing in classrooms. Um, and it goes back to the point I made earlier around it's not just the academic need of closing the gap post-COVID, it is everything around social, emotional, um, mental health. I mean, do you, do, do you sort of go along with the argument that the pandemic has been a, has sort of, I'm trying to think of the right word, um, made children regress on a, on a sort of social and emotional, like they, they've missed out on something, or, or do you sort of see that as, because there'll be some who would say, that's an excuse. That's, there'll be some who sit there right now and say, that that is just an excuse, and actually, the kids, um, we're, we're making excuses for the kids. Yeah, completely. I, I, don't, I don't think it is an excuse at all. There is... There's a, a big, there's a growing body of research now that says children coming into, let's take early years for example, are yeah. not school ready. They yeah. are not at the stage. Although someone actually yes last night saying that they've got kids coming into early years wearing nappies. Not able to do their coats up, not able to feed themselves. And so is, is, is that a sign of a parenting crisis? Because I, I don't know if we can put that all down to the pandemic. No, you can't. I, I, no, I'm not saying you can put it all no. down to the pandemic. But go back full circle to where I started. Where's the money in the, the local authority coming out of? Early help, community support, parental sure engagement. Sure start. Those are the organisations that would have been there to support parents to, to get their children to school ready. Now, you can't put it all at the doors of the parents, but parents do have a responsibility with that. Yeah. But if they're not getting the support that they need, it's just being passed along. And ultimately, it's landing at, well, you've got them for six hours a day, you see them for five days a week as, as a school, you need to take that responsibility. For, the, for, the, for, the, for a parent, though, I guess, when it's things like you've just said, don't know, I can't remember the examples you just gave, can't zip up a coat, yeah. can't, I don't know, things like that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's that again. There's that argument that would say no amount of additional programs or funding can should be needed to to for a parent to teach their child to zip a coat up. Should be needed, but that's not the situation we're in, is it? No. And we we could say that, and we could keep banging that drum. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Is that going to change the situation? So we can either bury our heads in the sand and say, I'm not going to give you any extra money because you should be doing it anyway, or actually recognise that we've got a situation that ultimately is affecting our children and our future generations and deal with it and put the support in place for parents, for communities, for families um, to, to be able to get their children school, school ready. ready. School but, ready. It's not just families school not? ready. Yeah, that's it. Why, Why wouldn't we as a country want to invest in our people why would we not want to do that on a human nature if we live our lives in by love and kindness and generosity why wouldn't we want to help those people that need the help 
I don't get why there needs to be any debate about this. There's a group of people that need help. Those of us that can, help. Like, that's pretty straightforward. If we were to ask our kids this problem, our kids would be able to eloquently articulate what we need to be doing because it's simple. It's just as the grown-ups, we overcomplicate it to an unnecessary level. Um, I, I guess, again, bringing in counter-arguments that other people would say um, is um, help has to come with responsibility and accountability. Um, so as much as I agree with what you've just said on a personal level, there will be those who would say, yes, but if we provide this, then we need whoever it is, the parents, the community, whoever it is to provide this in, in return. And whether we, whether as a society, particularly when it comes to education, but in, in every area, we, we, there will be those who say we give a huge amount, but we don't eat, expect anything back. Is that right? Is that wrong? I think there's. there's I don't know. There needs to be a level of reciprocity. Yeah. Um, but we, at some point in our lives, we all need some help. And in well, our opinion and, the, and our philosophy in terms of how we lead our schools is that. Why should it be a yes but? Why can't it be a yes and? I, I agree. I, I agree with that. I think it's just that, the, 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 well, I've put it to you that, that there are opinions that differ on on that yeah. within the country yeah. on what should happen or, or could happen. I think happen. as well, if you're talking about a return on an investment, say, yeah. we're dealing with the future generations. Yeah. You're not necessarily going to see an immediate return on that time or that money that you've invested. Does that mean that we don't do it? No, because six years down the line, seven years down the line, when children have gone through their primary education and are getting ready for secondary, that's then the return on your investment. When you've got fully rounded, um, confident, competent, compassionate, caring, well-educated, literate and numerate children who are then ready to go on to the next stage of their career, and do the same again, and then the same again, to give back to our society, then we can't be so short-sighted to expect that an academic year is everything sorted. We need to invest in, it's like planting trees, isn't it? You plant the tree, you don't expect to get the results straight away. Yeah, and it's, and it's how you measure success. Yeah. So is success that you, give, you, you provide a family with some support? Is success that that child now comes to school every day? For me, is, is, is success for that family. It might be that success is that that child goes to secondary school and achieves incredibly well in their GCSEs and is able to have options to choose a job that they're going to do. Right? Success is so subjective. Who are we to create a, a, a list of criteria for what that return on our investment should look like? Or not even a list, but a binary. You're, you're either age-related or you're not at the end of year six. It's not, is it? That's not just the measure of successful school. It's got to be more than that, to be honest with you. Fantastic. You're good at this. Have you, have you, have you practised? No. Uh, have you had, like, co-head teacher meetings about how to deal with interviews with people? Mm. It's quite I funny. Have no, I'm, I'm joking. Have. I'm, I'm joking. But, um, but, okay, let's move on to that show. Yeah. 
to finish with something bright. Um, why are you here? So digital is a, a really important part of our curriculum and our, our offer as a school. Um, COVID actually fast forwarded our digital um, our digital strategy by about five years. So we're a one-to-one -one iPad school for all of our key stage two children. And for us, it was about coming down to see what else there is. That's not to say that, go back again, we've got the money to buy anything, but it's about looking as to where we could go next and that, that next bit of our strategy. It's networking, it's to meet people like you, to, um, to have that opportunity to talk to people who care about the same things. I agree. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I, I mean, I, just to finish then, you talked about things you might invest in. What is your sort of, from, from the time you've spent here, is there a particular area where you think, oh, you know what, maybe we should invest in that area? There is so much to choose from. And but if you had to pick one I area. If you had to choose one area, I'd probably look at our digital curriculum and the impact of AI, looking at how we harness that, jobs of the future. And then for me, it is that the looking at how we can integrate 3D and digital printing into other areas of the curriculum. So enhancing our DT curriculum, for example. And the view different or? Um, mine is around more what we could do in terms of workload for our staff, in terms of being more creative, um, and, and ultimately that idea of, of what's going to impact on our children. Because there's so many flash things here, a lot of which we don't understand. But there are, we, what we do understand. But, but we, we, this is by no means slagging off 80% of what's here. I'm sure it's wonderful. It is. Mm. It is. It, it, it's I mean, impressive. I'll do that later. You, you can do that. Yeah. It's impressive. There is clearly a group of people that care about this. We, I don't know a lot of it, but I do know kids, and I know what kids need, and I know what works for our children. Do you think you could, like, when you see something around here, I bet you can sort of tell quite fast, yeah. oh, this is something half yeah. decent, or this is just you nothing. You said that, didn't you? Like, yeah. I, I'm quite good at... You're, yeah, you go with your gut. I go you? with my gut, yeah. so I'm quite good at discerning stuff. Although, yeah. I love it, yeah, and I think that's what we've done here. Because there, there's quite a lot of the same as well. So then it is around that value for money, quality, relationships, because if I buy something from here today, how, how do I know that I'm going to get that support back in school later on? So, yeah, relationships. That's something for the ad tech companies, isn't it, to yeah. consider as well? Definitely. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. This is Teachers Talk Radio at The Bet Show. Hello, everyone. Uh, day two, um, and I found some teachers. Oh my god! Um, guys, do you want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Jason Kaiser. I'm a computer science teacher at uh, Twickenham, uh, at St. Catherine's School in Twickenham. Hi, I'm Magdalena Hegarty, and I'm at uh, Twickenham, and I'm a science teacher. And I've been a science teacher for about 20 years. 20 years. Did you hear that, people? Um, unfortunately, we don't have an award for you. But Why you not? should be winning a bat Why award. Why not? No, no, I'm serious. We need bat. Who works at bat here? We need a bat award for someone who's taught for 20 years and they're still teaching. Don't care about ed tech. We need... Anyway, um, so what are you doing here at bat today? Um, well, we're very uh, interested in uh, digital technology in our school. Uh, obviously, since the pandemic, 
we've had to really embrace technology a lot more um, and, and teachers, pupils, parents are really keen to kind of uh, for us to be using more of that to help uh, move their learning forward. So we're getting ideas for not just science but um, the art subjects, music um, and, and small children as well because small children as we know um, really kind of uh, are engaged with all this technology. What is the best piece of tech kit that you have Ooh. seen so far? <laughs> um, so far, oh, this is different. We really yeah. like um, the, uh, the Redbox kits. The, Redbox. Yeah, Redbox. Um, it's a company from uh, from Belgium, and they create they've got uh, they create um, activities um, where the kids make their own superheroes and villains, um, oh, okay. and it's an interactive game so that uses IT creativity. Using cool things like 3D printers and uh, and laser lasers as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah okay. I think hands down the Flux uh, laser cutter is the best thing I've seen out here so far. Uh, and then I, I also ran into Code Cosmos, which they're doing a kind of a forked version of Minecraft EDU and using Python and JavaScript and using uh, Scratch and block-based programming for computer science. So some really cool options. It's quite good your school have let you come today, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like that's really good because I speak, speak to a lot of. Uh, I think it's really good that a school sort of gives teachers the opportunity to go somewhere they want to go that is going to be value for them to go to. So yeah. Yeah. rather than saying you have to go here and you're going here, that's it, and that's your day. Yeah. You know. No, no, no. We, we we have an objective. We have we've given the task. We need to find tools uh, and come back with ideas and that we can then implement quite easily. So the easy and uh, and seamless it is uh, the, the more likely we're gonna we're gonna pay money. We're gonna you know part with the cash. <laughs> yeah. So you might procure some yes. some something. Um, I mean, in terms of in the classroom. Because you guys are actual teachers. I know I keep saying this, you're actual teachers. Yes. It's phenomenal. <laughs> um, I'm really excited about this. But in the classroom, what's. If I was to set, go through some things now, and I want you to rank them one to three, the biggest challenge for you. Yeah. So I'm going to give you behavior, I'm going to give you workload, and I'm going to give you pedagogy, as in teaching well. Um, and I want you to rank those three things as the most challenging elements, with one being the most challenging. Behaviour, workload, pedagogy. At the moment. Uh, the most challenging, probably workload. Yeah, um, I'd love more time to um, implement these lovely tools properly, um, and just with the demands and pressures of teaching, um, there's sometimes physically not enough time to implement these amazing ideas. Um, so that's the biggest challenge. Behaviour is not an issue. Um, and um, what's the other one? Pedagogy. Pedagogy. Um, pedagogy, I would love to bring more tools in because I do yeah. see that as the future. But for things like diagnostic tools, um, there are loads of easy, lovely digital tools that will free up my time, which will let me know quicker where the kids are at, and then that will free up my, my teaching planning time so I can really be more effective in what I'm giving the kids. But again, to do this, I require time to do it properly. Yeah, of course. Um, is that the same for you? Yeah, I would say the the, the other challenge that I see is I, um, I'm coming into the UK just in the last couple of years. So transitioning into the national curriculum, I think that the, the pedagogy aspect is actually really huge. We, we have a lot of discussion around really important things we need to do for our students and learning and, and pedagogical strategies. But in the end, 
all that really counts is the GCSE exam or the A-level exam or the, the you know, the BTEC, you know, uh, marking that you're going to get that's going to get you the apprenticeship or get you to university. So I think there's a huge disconnect right now between what we know is best practice and what's actually being done. And as someone who's gotten to sit on both sides of that pedagogical fence, it's, uh, it pushes. It pushes on your spirit. Yeah. You want to you be able to do those better things. And you have these kind of hard lines of, yeah. this is what we need to do. Have you used any AI yet? Oh, go on. You were going to say uh, something yeah, else. I, I'd say the biggest question would link to uh, what you were saying about curriculum. Does today's curriculum prepare the students for, for the digital world? Big question mark. I'm well, do you sure. think it does? I'm not sure it does. It limits, uh, limits it because we're still very much paper-based in the exam. Yeah. And so although we do all these fun things, it's like when they get to year 11 or 12, it's like, okay, let's, uh, let's close that down and let's go back to paper stuff because ultimately they have to have exam technique to get that certificate to go to the next of aspects course. of their, their lives. But what sort of digital tools would you like? So, for example, getting them digital to type more. Digital great. exams. Well, I think, My I think, head teacher would be screaming right now. She had <laughs> no, but I, I agree with you. I, there should be more typing yeah. and less writing yeah. in schools. But I think that I think that beyond just the, the actual typing, like, so if you look at the uh, the SAMR pedagogical model is what I always fall back to. You know, substitute, augment, modify, redefine. Digital exams would be great, and it's an, an amazing opportunity to substitute. But if all we're ever aiming for is substitute, things like better, a complete waste of time. Like, why if we're just going to do PowerPoint instead of whiteboard? So I think it's not only the, the moving into the digital tools, but it's also figuring out how can we give tasks and assessments? Yeah. How can we ask questions that are, you know, well, yeah, and to borrow from Erno Rubik, how can we ask the ungoogleable? And and I think that that's especially relevant. You know, you, you mentioned briefly their AI. I think we're looking at things like ChatGPT and all the, all the other AI engines that are coming out. There's been collective panic with teachers, like, oh, students can just get to the... There is, yeah. Well, if, if that's true, then that means we're asking the wrong questions. Because we should always be able to ask a better question. And I think that that's where, that's where we need to, to really see these digital tools come in, is use that as an opportunity to, to develop and refine our assessments, to get to authentic learning experiences and really to, to push our students. So why is it you two at Matt? Why are you two out the staff? Are you mates? Yeah, well, well, obviously makes through, through, through work, but um, we, I think both of us have a, have a passion for uh, developing our school digitally. Yeah. All we're currently yeah. Is. So yeah. we're the only ones who are like willing to put in the ground. Yeah, to, to actually it figure it out. I know, we, we, we know that's going to take time. Um, yeah. And there'll be resistance along the way, but I think it's going to be worth it. Yeah, because I, I mean, you can sort of understand teachers been teaching since 1990 or something. My, in my, if that was me, I'd be sort of going. If I was sort of sixty now, seen it all, done it all, and then someone said, "Hey, listen, you've got to do this, this, and this." Right. It's difficult, isn't it? It's a difficult one. It can be, except that. I, so I come from the IB curriculum. That's where I spent most of my time before I came back into the UK. A huge part of the IB is being a lifelong learner. And I think yeah, that if we have teachers that aren't lifelong yeah, learners, then, then that's the issue. Like, if I'm 60 and I'm bored with what I'm teaching, yeah. it's time for me to be done teaching. Please. Yeah. I'm yeah. Not, that's not the place for Agreed. me. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, if I'm not learning as a teacher, I'm very different teacher to I was when I first started. There are so many things that are different in, the, in like you said, pedagogy and children. Um, and if I'm still doing the same thing as I was 20 years ago, that's, that's not great for me, the kids, and, and my, you know, ourselves and the rest of the family. Listen, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming over. Thank for a little interview, and this will be on the podcast.
so you can listen back to yourselves and share it with colleagues and they can laugh at you talking about the podcast. <laughs> right, cheers, guys. You. See you later. Thanks very This is Teachers Talk Radio at the Vet Show. Hello and welcome back again. I'm really delighted to be joined by Andrea, art teacher, but also winner of the Global Teaching Prize. Um, <laughs> you didn't drop that in in your intro. Well. No, no, but I, I love the way you said that. I mean, it's like, you know, it's all good. It's all good. Listen, we don't <laughs> often meet someone who's, who's won that prize. No, that's I know, a, I that's a, a million dollar. Yeah, and it, it still feels really weird being associated with it, but it's amazing. I'm owning it. I'm owning it. But do you know what? Um, Andrea, you're still teaching. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right, and you know what? That to me is is pretty phenomenal because because I think in a lot of occasions people sort of win a prize or they they do something good and then that's the end of teaching for them. You're still teaching. That shows me that you're incredibly passionate about teaching. I think it's it's my it's not a job. Well, you know what it's like when you're teaching. It's not a job. Depends and, on the school you're in. Yeah, well, yeah, of course, and. Yeah. Right, this is how I'll describe it to you. Um, last, I mean, it was Monday this week. I wasn't having a great day. I think it's like, you know, the Monday blues, not sleeping the night before. God, it went into work. It was okay. Then when my year 11s came and we're getting ready for their art exam and they came into the lesson, period five. So just after lunch, I was thinking, oh my God, you know, they just knocked it out of the park. And I was so proud of them. I was like, yeah, this is why I do it. It's lovely when it goes like that. It's, what, it's, what, year 11's once in a while. Oh my God. So I just held on to that moment and it was all good. Yeah. So how many years ago was it now that you won that prize? Was it three years ago? Uh, no, 2018. So like nearly a, yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. and since then you've obviously written a book. I'm on my second book, so my second, second, my second one's coming out in there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. What's that one then? It's called Lessons in Life and the first book um, was all about, um, and that, that, that book was called Those Who Can Teach. That one was all about the classroom, um, my experiences, um, the kids who, the kids who we all teach, all of us teach, the one who got away, you know, those, those stories. But this one, um, Lessons in Life is Lovely, is all about me interviewing 30 of the best educators in the world and finding out about their classroom, their kids, and what messages they want to share to us about raising children in their countries um, in this day and age. So it's like international. It is, yeah. And, it, and it's amazing. I, mean, I actually feel that I'm a better person by interviewing all those people. It's just amazing. And that's why I just think it's the best profession, regardless of all the, the rubbish that's going on at the moment and you know whatever's happening in terms of politics. It's still so special. It's sacred. It's a sacred profession. Um, uh, interesting enough, you mentioned the issues at the moment. I suppose we should touch on them. Um, but what, what is your view on the, the pay issue at the minute have you yeah. got one have you got a view on it i mean the uk teacher and i do work with other teachers from around the world but oh my god we work so hard we work hard the hardest i would say and we we do it mainly because it's for love um, of what we're doing but in terms of pay absolutely we deserve that and the reason why we deserve that is because of the extra hours the fact that we are dealing with the most precious things in the world and that's other people's children and yeah. we're growing them you know whether one is nurturing them um that's one of the issues the money but i think there's more to do that i think there's more about this there's more about accountability that we need to sort out the yeah. stakes are really high for every teacher in this country why 
Yeah. Um, we're all, you know, it's the, the bar is always so high, so high. And I think when it comes down to it, not many of us are appreciated. I received that from the award and just like all the kids who came back and said, Miss, yeah. remember yeah, when you yeah, told yeah. me off and you called my mum and I'll never forgive you, but Mister, I'm on the right track. You know, those stories, like those, they will come back and say that to me. Yeah. Not everyone has that opportunity. No, no. Not everyone knows what Mr. Rogers has done, you know, so it's, it's really... They should, they should. They and should. I'll, I'll, make, I'll make a documentary about myself. You should do. <laughs> at some point. But, uh, no, and I, yeah, we, we have so much value, um, but the world doesn't see it, and that's my problem. Yeah. So, what does the future hold in the next five years for you? Um, I've actually got some really exciting... Um, changes happening in my life in terms of where I will be this time in September okay. but I'm not going to disclose anything okay. but what I know is that um, I will always be for as long as I can be in a classroom or working in a school um, my new book's coming out in May so I'm very excited about how that's going to be taken and just hopefully that people will just enjoy their reading appreciate the work they do in their classrooms um, trying to get my daughter my daughter's going to be starting year 10 so it's just trying to in september so it's you know making sure she's okay yeah that and just trying to you know stay fit and healthy which i'm failing at <laughs> yeah join the club but it's all good yeah join the club it's all good it's all good um, and uh, at that show you're obviously talking later what are you going to be talking about can you give us a sneak preview i am yes i can um i'm um over the last year i've been doing some work with google um, whereby they invited me to take part in a report for them and it's the future of education report and I'm just here to, to showcase what we've been doing and also add the teacher touch to it so yeah so I'm really excited nice. actually it's Fantastic. really great Andrea it's been a pleasure thanks oh, for, thanks lovely for, to finally meet thanks you thanks for popping over <laughs> to the tea and thanks for wearing a teacher's talk radio sticker come on come on love it, love it that actually goes quite well with that top yeah I was made to wear this sticker I was made for it <laughs> But thanks very much for coming My over. My pleasure. Thank Cheers. you. Bye-bye. See you This is Teachers Talk Radio at the Bet Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bet Show. Teachers Talk Radio, Mark the Court. Mark, what are you doing here? Good suit on. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm wandering around, seeing what interesting things are emerging this year. Uh, obviously, specifically mathematics, so... I'm basically looking at my map, finding every single thing that says mathematics on it, visiting their stall and hearing their stories. Um, mainly trying to hear stories about AI. I know everybody's talking about chat and things like that at the moment around AI. Um, but there are some really good ideas here, what people are doing. Do you know what? I'm going to pick your brains because I was watching Gillian Keegan, the education secretary this morning. I don't know if you saw her speech. I didn't know she mentioned she, <laughs> she mentioned AI. Yeah. She said one of her big points was about AI and reducing teacher workload. Mm -hmm. I do wonder whether the DFE are gonna sort of go down the avenue of, of using AI. And you mentioned earlier to me there's there's some misunderstanding there maybe some misunderstandings about what AI is and what it does and so on. I mean, what are the sort of yes and no's of AI? for you at the show like what are the things where you're like yeah that's ai and no that's not ai well that's good ai and that's bad ai yeah well deal with the good and the bad let's suppose someone actually has ai there are people in the space and i'd say chat is one of these there are people in the space where they're creating technologies 
that allow you to get the answer to anything without thought. The trouble with that is that if we're involved with young people and we want them to mature and grow, you're literally talking about something physiological, something biological. You know, you have to, chemical, you have to lay down myelin across neural networks. That's how you mature, it's how you grow as a human being. The only way to make that process happen is by thinking, by attending. Any AI that is saying, we're going to take the thinking away from pupils, to me, is disastrous. Because you end up with a population of adult human beings who are incapacitated. They have to always go to Google to ask, what's the answer to this? And what they're given is, this is the answer, and you can't debate it. And what I want is young people to say, I'm going to think deeply about a problem. I don't mind taking some opinions like Google's or Chet's, but I know stuff and I can challenge that and I know whether this result stands up to interrogation. So I worry about any AI that is about taking away thought. And I see that in the teacher thing as well. You know, over Twitter the last few months, everyone's saying, I typed in Twitter, plan a history course for six weeks and chat did it in seconds and I didn't have to think about it. Don't talk well, about my Twitter. Yeah, 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 I was talking about you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's, and that's a problem, right? It's a problem if we inculcate teachers to think you don't have to think critically about how to plan for children's learning because planning for learning is hugely complex and actually a search engine will give you an approximation to an approximation of children who might be at some level. But when have you ever met a classroom that's like that? You have a classroom where kids are across all sorts of different attainment levels all sorts of different personal lives, all sorts of different personal gaps. And the skill of being a teacher is knowing that about them and reacting to that. There isn't a lesson plan that you can write down or Google can write down that's going to meet the needs of every kid in the room. So I worry about that. Uh, so that's a bit of a rant, right? So there's no, the that makes, no. that, that's makes the bad. That's the bad. AI that, doesn't, that takes away the thinking process is the bad. In mathematics, what I'm looking for is AIs that help pupils to de-abstract complex mathematical ideas. Uh, so if I think back to being a math teacher, trying to teach complex numbers, and I have to somehow on my blackboard with my chalk yeah, communicate yeah. this extraordinarily difficult idea, yeah. so I get this Im immensely inefficient learning. Yeah. Now if I can take a technology that allows me to de-abstract that so that pupils make meaning of that idea, so that they learn about that idea, that's what I'm looking for those kind of technologies so interesting and um do you think that i mean ai it is on trend and i would guess that in the next few years we're going to see a lot of mistakes in the area i would have thought and a lot of people sort of jumping on the bandwagon there is a danger for teachers isn't there as well it's sort of like you just mentioned one of them but i mean in, in a bigger way like schools yeah. saying oh yeah let's let's spend half of our budget on, you know, X, Y, Z. And I suppose they've always done that when it comes to ed tech, ed tech trends. They've always gone, oh yeah, let's spend half the budget on whatever it is, iPads. Yeah. Just iPads, but with no sort of story behind it. And there is a danger with, with that probably yeah. moving forward. Yeah. We repeat the, let's have an interactive whiteboard in every room and nobody bothered to ask why. So now we just have blackboards that are white, right? That's all it is. And there's that danger with AI as well. The main danger around AI is, is almost nobody knows what they mean when they talk about that. And AI is not of much use in learning. Artificial intelligence, which rely on uh, random chance to create a domain map, 
they're not of much use. You know, artificial general intelligences. Yeah. And there are hardly any people on the planet that make AGIs. Um, and only those AGIs can really be of any use for education. To create an AGI requires human intelligence. And I, I worry about this. Let's get, let's get artificial intelligence into everything. How about let's just get some intelligence into everything? You know, how about getting people that know about learning, know about children, thinking carefully about it, find that. So we're going to make loads of mistakes around it. There is definitely a cohort of people in the world who, you know, they have conversations at dinner parties that say in 20 years' time, there won't be any schools. We won't need any teachers anymore. We don't have to worry about that. That'll all be gone. Pupils can learn everything. Put a VR headset on, experience the whole world, learn everything. Whilst completely forgetting the just profound importance of human interaction, of being with a human being, uh, of would relationship. Wouldn't Mark Zuckerberg argue that you will be with a human being? It's just that they will be an emoji of themselves. Yeah, I'm sure he would, but he'd be wrong. And you know, that's that's the problem with it. These people are wrong about that. And if you think you're going to undo 200,000 years of evolution in a couple of years, you're off your head. It's just not going to happen. We need to be with each other. Social interaction matters. And the social interaction you get, you know, I'm sure you've sat on many a Teams meeting in the last couple of years, right? It's not the same. No. We're not wired for that. No. So I don't want a situation to arise where anyone is in a position where they can say, Let's get rid of schools. Yeah. Let's get rid of teachers. Yeah. You lose the most valuable part. I want people to be able to say, let's make the process of learning more efficient so that during your very short period of the time at school, your 10, 12, yeah. 13 years, you can become even more learned than you had the opportunity to become before. I want that, but I want that brokered through teachers. And you know, that's about ensuring we don't go down this line of creating a bunch of autonomous teachers who don't have to think. And I can see teacher training going that way in five, 10 years. Why? Because there's a huge push for economic efficiencies to make that happen. Imagine if you didn't need very smart people to be teachers and you could just employ anyone to be in a room whilst an AI did it. You don't have it. to imagine it, Mark. So, You're yeah. sitting next to the man who did it <laughs> and proved them all wrong. Yeah, so I, I want teachers to be thinkers, basically, and kids to be thinkers as well. So. Mark, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for wearing a Teacher Talk radio stick um, with pride. Um, you will tear it off and flush it down the toilet after this. I won't but that's it, besides no. the point, everyone. Right. Thank nice you, mate. I'll nice speak to you again. Cheers. Cheers. This is Teacher Talk radio at the Fed Show. Hi there, welcome to BET 2023, and let me welcome our esteemed guest for this afternoon. This is Kat Scott. Um, Kat, so could you just tell us, what, what exactly are you doing at BET 2023? Well, I've been to BET for many, many years. I didn't come last year, actually, so it feels a bit, or only, only very briefly, so it, it feels a bit more uh, back into it this year, a bit buzzier again. Uh, we were just saying you've not been to BET before. It's a, a new experience, isn't it? Um, yep. I worked in education technology um, across the Schools Trust for a long time. When I was a teacher, I was really interested in technology. And so although my role generally now doesn't have a huge amount to do with technology or only in terms of how we use it to support relevant teachers, um, I've always had a real interest in what we can use technology for um, and always 
pleasure to come and have a chance to come and talk to people, see what's happening. It's a great chance to, to network with teachers from across the country and I'm pleased to be uh, chairing a panel and presenting this afternoon as well. You're presenting this afternoon? Well, in about five minutes, actually. Wow, wow, five minutes. Um, <laughs> what, what are you presenting on? Uh, I'm going to talk about developing a strong professional culture in schools, uh, which is kind of my, I guess, big topic of interest, a big topic of interest for us at the Charter College of Teaching, where I work, because ultimately, although, of course, teachers have autonomy over their own development, um, a huge amount of what affects how effective teachers are and how they develop is the professional culture they're working in, their opportunities for CPD, their opportunities for collaboration. So do you think, then, um, developing professional is this, uh, you know, is this going to be a big trend within the 21st century? We need to develop and work alongside the digital technologies in order to succeed that professional culture. Um, um, I, I mean, I, I think it's crucially important. Whether I think I don't think it's anything that's new for the 21st century. I think it's a thing that you know, actually, the best schools have been, been doing for a, a long time. And okay. um, a lot of the research that comes around that is from, from quite a few years ago. Um, Work with people like Kraft and Pape, who were looking at schools in the US and findings back in 2014. That research was published, so it was done even before that. And finding that the schools that actually had the most effective staff were those who built this real sense of trust and autonomy, um, who, who really gave their teachers chances to collaborate and develop, um, and that really that kind of uh, commitment to student achievement through teacher development was at the heart of everything that they did. Okay, cool, cool. So one more question for you, and this is for our listeners. Um, what are you, what's your top tip? If you've got any advice for our 21st century teachers out there, what would you say to them? Um, <laughs> it's, it, no, it's, it's a great question. <laughs> I think, you know, obviously it's going gonna, it's gonna to be thinking about technology and the world of tech today. It's got to be when we're here at the Vet Show. But I think one of the things that we saw during the pandemic that's really interesting is that the kind of massive tech advocates, the evangelists who would say technology can solve all of our problems, kind of realised its limitations. And at the same time, the tech sceptics saw that actually there are things that we can do with tech that really enhance what we're doing in the classroom. So for me, I've seen, we've, I think we've seen a bit of a kind of convergence of views around technology and that enables us to have a bit more of a, a critical conversation about where technology can enhance what teachers are doing without that kind of idea of oh, robot teachers or with chat GPT, we don't need teachers anymore. You know, these, these things I think are a nonsense. We've seen how crucial teachers are uh, and it's about using tech to enhance that really for me. I love that. That is absolutely awesome. Uh, I share similar sentiments. Anyway, uh, goodbye from um, Bet 2023. This is Teachers Talk Radio at the Bet Show. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're at the New Line stand. We're loving it here. We're living the dream. We've got Moretti beer flowing. We've got um, all sorts of people visiting us, including these three amigos from Exeter College. Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself in order. Yeah, I'm Ian. I'm the Deputy Head of Faculty for the Faculty of IT. Uh, I'm Paris. I'm a student and part of Exeter Academy. Not drinking Moretti. <laughs> And I'm Oscar O'Brien, I'm here for the Sports Academy at Exeter College. Fantastic. Right, now, my, we'll keep the mic on you for a minute, because my interest was immediately piqued by the e, I am, I asked what your role was, you said I am the manager of the eSports Academy, which either sounds like the easiest or best job in the world if Carlsberg made jobs. So can you tell us a little bit more about this thing called a job that you have? Well, it's a difficult job, but it is uh, one of the best jobs in the world. Sounds so um, eSports is not just playing games and what I've been really keen to do with my eSports programme is to have real world eSports going on so that we can learn all the skills that go on behind in the production side of uh, eSports. So Paris uh, does things like managing the stream, editing videos and so on, uh, managing social media 
and these skills not only are they creating esports, but there are things that lots of businesses are looking for to help market uh, their products. Um, so although it might seem like just esports, we're developing some real world skills in a very uh, marketable and exciting way. So in a cur curriculum wise, like let's say, say Paris in your timetable, presumably you've got esports there, right? So, so can you tell me what an esports lesson is for you in um, college? For me, it's setting up the stream as part of production. So when the other members of the academy play games, I'll be the one setting up the stream so that their games can be streamed. And are you, so when they're streaming it in lessons, are they recording it or are they streaming it live to somewhere? Um, sometimes we record it, sometimes we stream it, depends on the game and depends on... And what's the objective? This is more for you. What's the objective of an eSports lesson? So, the uh, objective is those softer skills, uh, so sought after. Uh, yeah. Nowadays, what we're seeing, eSports is really powerful. Students out of their shell and being extroverted. Um, so that's what it does for, for those who are engaging it in an enrichment sense. And then, excitingly, next year we've got a full time program where you can come to Exeter College and just study esports. Um, and then, during the lessons, you'll be learning about the, the video editing, streaming, event management stuff um, from a theory point of view. And then, um, and on the enrichment bit, on the Wednesday afternoon, you actually do it for real, uh, being watched um, online. So within the cohort, do you have sort of players who are like, who are the ones who sort of play the games because they're the best? Is that how it works in the class or whatever? Yeah, so we have uh, people... Is it like School of Rock, where he says like, you guys are going to be like the, the lighting people, and you guys are going to be the, the dress people, and you guys are going to be the gamers, and they're like, woo, and then you're going to be like the backstage lighting. And then someone says, I can't do anything, and he says, you're going to be a singer. It's a bit like that. Do yeah, you find roles yeah. for everyone? Uh, I, I wasn't really thinking that as my inspiration, but there's quite good uh, overlap. Yeah, I'll go with that. You just well. can't <laughs> stop the school of rock. Sorry, carry on. So, yes, so they've all got roles within the class, um, but these sorts of gamers who keep winning championships are presumably very good at playing games. Yeah, so uh, we're very lucky at Exeter College to have some of the best players in the country. So uh, we've got um, students going through to the national uh, finals uh, every single year. And uh, this year, just one of our achievements is we have the best women in sports uh, team in the country. The best what sport, sorry? Uh, women in esports teams. They play Overwatch and it's a competition where at least 60% of your team needs to be female or a uh, marginalised gender. Okay. And, uh, yeah. and you've got the best team in the country at that? By a country mile. No one else has actually managed to score a single match against Yeah, but how us. many teams are there? Loads. Um, hundreds. Hundreds? Yeah. Any college that has an esports team generally has a team for Overwatch. So basically, when I was at school, Paris, let me try and explain. When I was at school, the people who sat around playing video games were sort of like the losers, whereas now they're like the heroes, aren't they? It's like, it's, it's, yeah. you know, like they weren't the jocks. The jocks, do you know what I mean? Like the people playing sports and that. Now they're like the heroes. They're the heroes. Yeah, well, we've taken our 
we have sports academies, which are like you know, your traditional sports academy, your rugby academy, your football academy. Yeah. Our eSports Academy is exactly that same model. So yeah. you know, I wasn't but, actually being sarcastic. No, no, it is. Genuinely no, saying. No, no, but that, that's, that's, that's what's happened. That's, but, yeah, that's not so, bad. So we, we get backing from our SLT to take that model that for a rugby academy where they feed directly into Exeter Chiefs. Well, we're doing the same with our eSports Academy, the same kind of criteria, the same support from the college to make it a real success. But what, like, with eSports, what, obviously I get with you, because you're doing the, the technical side of it, and that's whatever. But the guys who are playing the games, I understand. I played a lot of Gold Knight, yeah. right? But that didn't necessarily help me after the age of 16, 18. I could have done that. Okay, so playing games on your own gives you a set of skills where you're good at playing games. Playing games in a team, you have to play as a team member, okay? And that is, those soft skills are the things that, in a lot of courses, employers are shouting out, we don't have people that can teamwork, can communicate. Well, can... could you argue they could be teamworking in maths or English rather than esports? They could, but what we see is students that are really introverted that wouldn't do that come out of their shell. I've got students that you know would struggle to take their coat off when they come into a classroom. They get in the esports environment, they are so comfortable, they take their hood off, they, they engage, they talk to people. That is not their typical learning behaviours anywhere else in the college in that esports space where they feel comfortable they're yeah. confident and they come out of the shell so like the games that you actually play do you choose those they're chosen by the league so the league sets oh up. really yeah so there are four games we typically play oscar will, will tell us a bit about those but yeah they're chosen by the league and we but they're popular games they're games that all the kids play anyway so so when students are arriving at college they will have a knowledge of those games, most of our students. Some of them come to it fresh, but the majority will have had an experience with those games already. Yeah, so those games are uh, Rocket League, Overwatch. What's it called? Uh, Rocket League. Rocket League. Uh, yeah. That's one of the games. Never yeah. heard of it. Next. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically cars playing football. Uh, then we've got League of Legends. Next. <laughs> Don't know it either. Is uh, that any good? No, I don't think so. Next. Uh, then we've got uh, Valorant. What? Valorant. It's, uh, Valorant. Yes. It's a bit like Counter-Strike. Have you played that one? I've never, I've not played that either. I know of it. Okay. I know of it. Is that shooting one? Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's we play one called Valorant, which oh, is a okay. bit more cartoony. Yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, and then final game is Overwatch. Okay. No football manager. No football manager. No. That'd be a good one for statistics. Bit of Minecraft. Not into that either. Um, so, for you, how's it helped you to do what you're doing now? Is it is it been positive for you? Like, do you enjoy it? Can you, is it? Has it made you think, okay, I can transfer some of this into something else or what? You know? Oh, yeah, it's given me skills that I can use outside of esports as well as develop it into something further that I want to do for a career. Um, I really enjoy it, firstly, and it's, it's a great like, space to be in, a good environment for learning yes. as well. So with the editing, what do you use to edit? What software do you use? Well, we use OBS for streaming. Uh, editing, don't really edit. I don't you don't edit, edit them. I don't know what... 
Adobe, yeah. 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 That's cool. No, it's oh, it just interesting because I like sort of video editing myself, so it's interesting to hear what you're using. That is mind opening because I think it's I think it's positive that there's there's more of this sort of diversification of the curriculum and new opportunities. So how does it fit in with with the curriculum then? Do they do that as a so what we've got we've got three hundred students that engage in a casual gaming club which Oscar runs. Yeah. We've then got Is that part of his job as well? Yep. We work him hard. And then we've got forty students that engage with an academy and that they're, they're our elite. Um, and that's that's where Paris fits in. Um, but also we've got curriculum that sits alongside that. So we have a BTEC offering for our 16 to 19 year olds. Um, and then we've written with the University of Plymouth an HNC and an HND. So those students can then progress all the way up to a level five qualification if they want to. So they can start at 16 and go all the way up to 21 here at college and then go on and top it up to get a full degree at Plymouth if they want to. It's quality. And then presumably some of them might go on to do it professionally yep. if they get signed up by whoever it is. I mean, yes. there's football ones. I don't know whether other esports have teams, but presumably they do. They do, yeah. yeah we've, we've got students that have gone on and played professionally and, and made an income from that. It's pretty class. Guys, that, that's, that's all from me. Brilliant. The only thing I say is you now each get... Should we be that generous? Yeah. Uh, each? Three? Yeah. We'll give you each a Teachers Talk Radio mug. Harris, do you ever drink out of a mug? Yeah. <laughs> this is, these things are limited edition. This is Teachers Talk Radio at the Bet Show. Look who's joined us. It's Atul Rana. Everyone! <laughs> thank you, thank you. No one's... Yeah, that's a runner. Thank you. Give him a. This guy's a celebrity. Why isn't anyone clocking? <laughs> anyway, um, thank you. Yeah. Atal Atal has joined us. He is an online math tutor, a math god. Um, Atal, what are you doing at the Bat Show? Uh, so I've always uh, believed in the role of technology. I mean, uh, being an online tutor myself, I use technology every day. Uh, so it's right up my street. So. Always look around for um, what's happening. The what next best thing. Yeah. Next what is the next yeah. best thing? Uh, next best thing, probably all um, this kind of online learning platforms, uh, especially in the world of maths. We're looking at um, platforms where you can do a bit of learning on using videos and worksheets, and you get feedback the teacher. Uh, you may not need that feedback, so it's kind of making the role of uh, teachers easier in some way for some of the heavy lifting is done by the... What's the best thing about being an online maths tutor? What's the best thing? Well, the best thing is it's a truly, uh, I call it tutoring without borders. So the best thing is actually just connect to students all over the world and not having this kind of, um, sometimes which can feel like a tunnel vision view of looking at some the English curriculum. There's a Scottish curriculum which is different to the Welsh curriculum. Uh, and I've got someone in Kurdistan, for example, or in California. Uh, and it's uh, this kind of liberating feeling of um, knowing that education is still the same thing. It's extremely valuable and people, uh, people invest in it. Parents really care about it. 
definitely. Uh, it's just connecting here. The, the freedom to connect with anyone, uh, you know, just like yourself, uh, with other, other teachers, other tutors. Uh, that's also helped my professional development in huge ways. Because so yeah. you run maths chat live, don't you? Yeah. See, putting in a bit of a plug there for at all, but yeah. maths chat, tell us about that. So yeah, maths chat live is um, is exactly what it says, basically. Um, maths chat between teachers and educators on uh, pedagogy and uh, anything that comes up from that. And it's uh, it basically came out from lockdown. Uh, there was a point where none of us could go to schools or none of us could do anything. And, so, and uh, professional development, I felt it kind of stopped. Uh, so you started that up? So I started up. Uh, and it's actually, I should say, the live bit is actually, it's live on Twitter and yeah. Facebook, YouTube, etc. So it's, it's a truly live thing. Uh, and it's a live streamed event. Uh, and that means it's uh, interactive with the people who yeah. are uh, just like teachers spoke radio. It's interactive. So people can comment, teachers can comment, um, and they can direct the flow of the conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio at the Bet Show. Hello, welcome to the Bet Show, and our esteemed guest here, Richard Selfridge. Richard, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hello, Mark. How, How are you doing? I see by your badge, you are data busting for schools. What exactly. What exactly does that mean? So I'm a primary school teacher, have been for 20 years. Okay. About seven, eight years ago, I started looking at what was happening with education data. Just working in primary schools, there were lots of odd things happening. Okay. So I started writing about um, education data, uh, kind of just lobbying, basically saying, why are we doing what we're doing? It does all these, do all these inferences that people make about data. Okay. Are, they, are they reasonable? Um, and so I worked on that. Um, as a result of doing all that, I got asked to write a book by Sage Publications, and we settled on a title of Data Busting for Schools. Okay, okay. Which is basically just, it's based on the idea of sort of teacher-proofing, or just basically you know, making sure that what you're doing is reasonable. So, so how has this data busting brought you to BET 2023? Is, is there a story there? Well, exactly. So I've been to BET before at various occasions, and now, these days, I do lots of different things. But one of the things which I really do is enjoy finding out about what's happening in education. And because I tend to be quite current, I really enjoy running stages, which is what I'm doing this week at BET. So and you're running, running a stage here today? Yeah, running a stage, just topping and tailing, introducing people, keeping people going. So that gives me an opportunity to actually see those people as well, listen to what they're saying. Um, and it's just, a BET is a, a, just an overwhelming experience, as you probably know. So it's quite useful to be based in one place and just say, just introducing lots of people, and then you get to talk to lots of people. And as you say, you are, you have the benefit of not only like leading and managing a stage here, you get to meet all of those fantastic speakers yeah. and gain insights from the worlds that they're bringing in. Exactly. And yeah. I particularly like this because, again, because it is education technology, and because my, one of my things is uh, is assessment and, and how you use assessment, a lot of that is going online, a lot of that is moving in, and you can see that future coming towards us. So lots of people are doing online assessment, but lots of people aren't yet, particularly in my sector, in the primary um, sector. Now, this, this is yeah. something that I'm very interested in. Yeah. So online assessment, yeah. what does that look like? In the 21st century, what does that look like? Well, there's a number of things. So you start off with paper-based assessments, and there's almost replications of the paper-based assessments. So, so you do the same thing, but online. So that's one step. But then you get into computer-adaptive assessments is kind of the next step. And that's where, based on the first four or five answers that you've given on an assessment, we'll give you a slightly different question for your sixth question. So you adapt things. And that means that you've got more in the parlance. You've got more items to choose from, oh, cool. which means it's easier for you to assess at the extremes of the, of the, of the distribution. 
assessments are pretty good in the middle. If you're a typical person, they're quite good at working out where you are. So is that the, your bottom and top? Is half. that the way that assessment is going for the 21st century? It do we think that way? Is that moving that way and just saying, well, how do we do this and how we do it? Because there's, there's so much that comes off the back of that. A lot of the time when you're assessing at the moment, you're having to do manual upmarking and then manual data entry, and you end up putting the stuff onto a computer. So why not start on the computer? So there are some issues with it, but but once you understand it, I'm saying one of my big things is data literacy and understanding the data benefits, literacy. but yes, also the yes, problems yes, with data. Because yes. yes. if you do these things badly, it can take you in, in terrible directions. But there's loads of questions here. I think this would be great if we can get you onto the show to discuss ah, this yes, at length. One final question. Any advice for our teachers for the 21st century? What would you say? Well, for the teachers of the 21st century, I think they, I mean, the interesting thing is there's so much changing. There's so many things happening. You come to a place like this, it's overwhelming. And sure, loads of these things are never going to be part of your life. But some of them are. So, you know, come along, find out, and just have a look and see what's going on. Particularly if you're interested in assessing children, there's lots of interesting stuff that people are doing online. Um, and there's, there's, it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts on all of us in the next five, ten years. Nice one. Thank you so much. Really. This is Teachers Talk Radio at the Bet Show. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Bet Show once again. This is day two at uh, the conference, and it's it's been an amazing vibe on the show floor. A lot of people here from all over the world, a lot of teachers here. We've been interviewing all day the movers and shakers, which is a great way to introduce my next guest, which is Daniel. Daniel, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name's Daniel Hill. Uh, I'm Regional Vice President for Europe, Middle East and Africa at Instructure. Uh, so Instructure are a provider of education technology products uh, to students around the world. So do you want to tell me a little bit about, uh, I mean, you sort of explained it, but yeah. like why you're at that show? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So um, one of the things that's exciting about the show for us is we get a chance to talk to all the different technology providers that are ultimately trying to solve problems for educators and for students. So. Uh, Instructure offers tools like Canvas, which is a very highly used learning management system or virtual learning environment. We also offer a range of other tools that support learning, micro-credentialing, upskilling, that sort of stuff. So for us, you know, the conference is a great chance for us to obviously meet with existing institutions that are using our technology, but also uh, find out what other technology is solving the problems that educators are facing today and, and making sure that we're interoperable and uh, on that journey with them together. Do you think, I mean, what's the most, for you, like, what are the most exciting developments in education technology at the moment? Please don't say AI. I was just about to every say. person says AI. So just say, like, teddy, robotic teddy bears or something. I don't care. Just well, don't say AI if again. AI is off the table, uh, then... AI is off the table. AI is off the table. And you're right, it is definitely what everyone's talking about. But um, I think another a key thing that we're trying to, you know, make sure we're solving... He's desperately is... trying to think of something that's not AI. <laughs> mm. Definitely not. Um, Upskilling and reskilling. There's a lot of data coming out around, you know, if we look at, again, the emergence of AI and technology is forcing those already in the workforce to reskill and upskill, right? There's jobs that are being replaced by those technologies. And so I think for us, there's a really exciting opportunity for educational institutions to address that kind of non traditional learner market and make sure that we're serving them with the skills, the competencies that they're going to need in the future, right? So you know, in the past where we've looked at education as these big institutions that, you know, charge a lot of money to deliver a certificate of learning. You know, we've moved to a level probably maybe five or ten years ago with the emergence of the MOOC and, you know, somewhat online and kind of these sort of certificates that have some sort of validity to now a world where learning's on demand. And I think students are starting to take ownership of their journey, right? They want to, rather than take a degree in computer engineering, 
They know the three code bases that they're interested in, and they're just going to get skills, credentials, or digital badges in those because that's what they can show the future employer as a you know transparent record of their skill set. So those are some of the, I guess, the problems and the, the opportunities that we're talking about, I would say. And what's the most popular product that you've got? So we have a product called Canvas Credentials. Um, it was known previously as Badger, uh, which was an open source badging platform, uh, which we acquired uh, a little while ago. What's an open source Badger platform? So open source badging means that... Again, Badger, I thought you said. Yeah, Badger, exactly. So it was known as B-A-D-G-R, Badger. Uh, now and do you know what? I think I'm getting older. For... <laughs> what? Did anyone else think Badgers, real Badgers? The logo you see Zima? in Badger. The logo used to be a badger, so you're not you're not completely open source badger farms. Yeah, they, big farms where loads of badgers <laughs> live together and work together on AI. You get tools. to learn everything about them, what they're interested in. Yeah, exactly. No, so um, an open source badging platform is about making uh, the the accreditation or the qualification transparent, right? So if I'm a an employer and I'm going to interview someone. I'm going to look at their CV, maybe look at their degree, and from that, I have to ascertain what they're good at, their skill sets are. That's a tough job, right? Maybe I'll call up a reference. There's no holes in that process, right? This is about making sure this process is way more transparent so that employers have an opportunity to see, I know not only what skills and competencies this person has, but I can actually verify what they were assessed on, how they were assessed on it, and how long were they assessed for, and then also, if I'm really good at a certain skill set, I have an opportunity to publish that as well. Yeah. Right? So we're very familiar in this world of creating our own personal brand. We've got Instagram and social media where we curate what our social or personal brand is. And we think that digital badging is a way of also doing the same kind of curation of your professional profile as well. Brilliant. Daniel, thanks very much My for coming pleasure. over Thank you. and sharing that. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Absolutely. This is Teachers Talk Radio at The Bet Show. And I'm with uh, Kelly Fields. Kerry Fields? Fieldstrup, yes. I it as well. Yeah. Kelly Fieldstrup. Yes, that's funny. And you're a teacher of coding. Yes, that's right. I teach coding in Copenhagen, Denmark. There's, that's two fascinating things I want to ask you about. First of all, what is teaching coding? I mean, hmm. yes. So we have a, it's a program called Coding Class, where um, it's for the ages of 12, 13, and 14. Um, and schools book us to come out to them. And when they book us, they get uh, 25 lessons with us. And uh, we match the class with a company. So we um, cooperate with over 100 different companies. So we come in on day one and we introduce them to um, a, a coding tool that could be Scratch, uh, Cospaces, Lego, Minecraft, it could be whatever the, the school wants to use. And we teach them kind of the basics about it. And then on day two, a, um, our, the company they've matched with comes in and talks about the company, what they do, what kind of jobs they have, and then they give the class a mission. And that could be, you know, we need help making an app um, to um, bring our workers together in the different countries, or we need an app that would nudge customers to buy more climate-friendly products. It could be anything, you know, we need a game to teach children how to recycle plastic better. That was one of my missions I had recently, it was the, the plastic industry we were working with. So then they give the class the mission and then they, they leave and we do kind of an innovation process with the, the children where they have to brainstorm and, and pick out an idea and uh, talk about their ideas before they're allowed to start. And then when they've chosen an idea, then they start um, coding their solution to this mission that the company has given them. Uh, that's on day two. 
And then on day three, the company. Just day yeah, two. Yeah, that's day two. Yeah, yeah. So we had, we had a lot done. I mean, the innovation process, it's um, very compromised. But, um, but then they start building. And then on day three, the company comes back and the children present their ideas, not, their, not what they've done, but their ideas um, to the company. And the company gives them feedback, which they then have to integrate into their ideas. And then the rest of the day, they sit and code. And then on day four, they code all day long and build and um, prepare a presentation. And then on day five, we go out to the company and um, they present in front of a bunch of people from the company in a big auditorium and they get shown around. Um, I, can, I can just imagine that students as I knew them over the years would absolutely love that. Yeah, they, I mean, that's, they, they're thrilled because it's, a, it's something different, something creative, but also you know, somebody coming from the outside and giving them a real project. I mean, they, they get a real mission from the company, the, something the company actually does have a problem with. So they, you know, they get the sense that they're working. And do you find that students say, well, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to be a coder. Some of them, yeah. And then, and that's the reason we get, we do it is, is we, we feel that, you know, you, if you'd haven't given an opportunity to try it, then you don't know if you like it or not. Um, we have some students who have done coding in their free time already, but then we have some students who've never done it before who find out that it's not only just um, typing in, you know, text, it's it's building, it's color, it's design, it's it's working together in a project. So we do have some students that um, we offer extra classes for those who are extra interested in, in, in it that, that continue on. And we, um, we also experience that in a lot of the classes, some of the students are maybe a little bit more quiet um, during the normal teaching. They, they kind of shine in this. Um, they finally, it's like niche. It's they got get a everything chance. that young yeah. people love. Yes. Technology, yeah. uh, a sense of completion, a discrete yeah. task that they, they work on. Yeah. And yeah. at the end of it, they've done something. Yeah, and it's a, there's a deadline, and you know it's, it it starts and it stops. And, uh, so, yeah. is anything like that done in this country? You teach this in, in Copenhagen. Yeah. Uh, it, from your experience, is that happening in places like Britain and other countries? I, I, I'm not sure, actually. I'm not, um, I visited a, a school here in Britain um, yesterday uh, where they showed us how they kind of integrate coding into the everyday lessons. Um, but I'm not sure if the, anybody's doing this collaborative project with the, with the companies. Five minutes conversation with you about this, and they'd want to do it. And then we talked about it. We actually presented about it with them, um, and they were quite interested. Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been doing this? I've been doing it for about a year. Um, I've worked as a teacher um, in the classroom in, in Denmark uh, for 15 years. And then I was given the opportunity to um, try this out. Um, I also have a background in IT. Um, I've always been interested in coding. Um, so I, um, I kind of broke out of the classroom and now I'm the guest teacher, the fun guest teacher that gets to come in and, um, Brilliant. and teach them something and then leave again. So it's a, uh, yeah. So, uh, how long would the course take from beginning to end? It's a discrete course. Yeah, so it's each class gets 25 lessons uh, with us. Um, one lesson is 45 minutes. So we're basically there five days in a row, or, or five Mondays in a row, five Tuesdays in a row, um, from 8, 8 a.m. to 12.45. Um, and then it's, uh, yeah. Kelly, you can it's certainly over. sign me up for that. Yeah, you're welcome I'm, to. I want to know yeah. that. Yeah. I want to get code Yeah, and we do, um, we do spend a lot of time having to recruit companies, but we find that once we get a company in, they, they come back year after year. We have some companies that that have taken five classes throughout the year, and uh, because they you know they get the they get to come into a classroom and they get the CSR, you know, the, the social responsibility. A lot of companies have like a a mission; they have to do something in the in community, um, and they just enjoy being with the kids as well. So it's a uh, 
it's kind of win-win for all of us. And um, this is a part of the Copenhagen municipality, so actually the schools have to book us. They have to book us or they have to book another project that, that um, creates contact with a, a company. Um, so it's not something to pay for. It's Right. It's a, yeah. Oh, I see. So, obligatory, I think you say. Yeah. So it's thing. part of the curriculum part for sixth or seventh graders, yeah. yeah. In Copenhagen. Yeah. I've learned a lot. This is Teachers Talk Radio at the Bet Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back again to the Bet Show 2023. Um, joined now by Ellen, all the way from Holland. Which yes. bit of Holland? Um, from the area near The Hague. Oh, yeah. Okay. And Ellen is visiting... Well, you actually said something interesting because yesterday you were visiting the um, School 21. Yes. Now tell us about that because that's a very interesting school. Well, we were very interested about the concept, STEM or STEAM, uh, because it's really new to us. Um, we are a vocational school. Uh, I, I work at a vocational school and it's the curriculum you go through, our students do, and then that's it. They go to the next level school or college. Uh, but um, it's a totally different concept, which we're very curious about, and how we can combine different types of education like arts and science and languages into one uh, was there anything you don't do now that you saw there that you think you would want to do? We don't do arts at the moment and I was amazed by how they integrate arts into everything um, and it's also a way of expressing yourself not only on a creative basis but also on a voc voc um, spoken uh, way because you have to think about things and then you um, talk things through, make a plan, and then you, um, you make something and you uh, have exposition afterwards, uh, which is a concept which is not new to us, but yeah, by doing, doing it with art, that's new. And we have some modules in, um, in our um, subjects which relate to art, but not, uh, we, we don't use them the way you use them back here. That's so interesting. That's very so nice. you've come to BAT today. Is there anything you've seen so far or that you're looking forward to seeing? Um, well, we've been, we've been surrounded by a lot of um, things we already know. Um, yeah. We're very um, keen on uh, seeing how we can use technology in our everyday education, like in teaching Dutch or teaching English or science or biology. Um, we are the lucky school uh, which got funded for a huge technological area. So we have a lot of uh, materials already in the school. But we need to find out how we can make the link to other subjects and use them in a way that it's that it improves and, 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 and challenges the students to learn even more. And what do you teach? What's your subject? I used to teach English and now I'm a team leader. Yeah, so, so what does team leader mean? That I don't teach anymore, only as a substitute sometimes. Yeah. Um, 
and but I uh, I advise my team. I have to have them look at, uh, at their own well-being, but how they teach classes. Um, and how many teachers are in your team? <coughs> about twenty-two. Oh, so quite that's a, a large team. And do many of them listen to Teachers Talk Radio? Um, no. Not disaster that's really <laughs> because it's not no it's it's new to us it's new it's new and but they will be they will be after this interview because oh, i want to hear you them. talking on it yes. obs um but thank you very much for your time and enjoy You're your welcome. book this is teachers talk radio at the bet show hello welcome back to the new line stand at teachers talk radio the bet show nl31 um, what a place. I mean, this is the hive of activity. Everyone wants to be here. Everyone in this hall is desperate, including this guy here, to come over and talk to us on this stand. Um, but introduce yourself. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm Adam from a company called SpeakSea. Product, I mean, it's a good segue into it, definitely does need connection because it's a device that captures audio, captures it very, very well because of, of a unique speaker system. It then transmits that encrypted up to the cloud, and then that's where our software does the conversion. But of course, as with anything that needs a cloud connection, you're at the beck and call of how good it is. But most places, schools, whatever, will have a connection that's, that's decent. But you can see that basically, if the connection was working, the text would come through on the screen as we were speaking in different colours. Now, now, presumably, this would be very useful for anybody with hearing impairment well, or... Absolutely. I mean, I'm here as better as a newcomer. We, we weren't really looking to pitch it into the education segment at all. We're selling this to people that are deaf themselves, they're in work, or they're students. We've got a lot of students. You can use funding to buy it, so they don't have to pay money. They can use access to work which is a very underknown funding system and disability student allowance. Again, I wish more people knew about it, not for us, but for their own benefit. And because of that, it makes it a, a, an accessible product for people that need it. But you get students handing this to their lecturer at the front of the hall. They can sit at the back, they get the transcript, they then can save the notes. And for somebody who's deaf, if you're trying to lip read somebody, the last thing I want to do is start sketching away my notes and breaking from your face. This allows you to focus and then get the notes afterwards. And we're starting to see that education is possibly a really useful place for it. And we're working with a few schools at the moment, particularly to see if deaf students can use this and benefit from getting that information in, in the classroom itself. So oh, yeah. that's kind of what we're all about, really. This is Teachers Talk Radio at The Bet Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show floor. Um, I'm joined by Michael Cornwell, Program Manager at Farnborough College of Technology. Michael, how are you doing today? Yeah, good. It's nice to be here. Excellent. What are you here for? What are you going to do today? So, it's a mixture really. Um, interested in kind of the upcoming software that's going to be available, certainly looking with a VR lilt, uh, and also sort of innovative technology we've been given a budget where we can start to purchase some really interesting stuff but we don't want it to be a bolt-on we want it to be integral to pedagogy really okay so what like in the college what are the key challenges for you in terms of 
educational technology, you know, like what are you looking at AI yeah, stuff? Yeah, we're all looking that? at AI stuff. Obviously, ChatGPT and the advent of that is really Have you started using that? Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, it's making my life easier. I don't think we're going to have to teach the students how to make it make their lives easier, but not to consume them. Um, I think we're looking just to do the basic things well. I think there's sometimes too much of a focus on too much digital innovation. You buy too much stuff. It's not focused. You've got a sporadic scattergun approach. When in actual fact, you need to do simple things well and then take those people that are good at that and move them forwards, but have kind of a base where you need to be. Yeah, I mean, in terms of budgets for technology, um, would you say that the college and, and other schools, would you say that it is a good thing for them to invest in technology at the moment? Yeah, if it's going to be used well. Don't buy marketing equipment. Don't buy a robot that you bring out for X amount of money, comes out open days and open evenings when you're not going to use it within the classroom. Yeah. You know, you've got to spend it wisely on stuff that's relevant and, and, and will be used. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you give me an example in the past of what you would consider to be a fad or something that schools have blown a lot of money on that was a mistake? Well, I think, I think robotics. I think a couple of years ago, robotics were a big thing. Uh, Pre-pandemic, everyone went out and got one. Yeah. They paid X amount for it and not an appropriate amount. It's not used. Mine still does the cleaning for me back yeah, home. Yeah. I mean, I wish mine did the cleaning. I wish mine did the cleaning. Um, so what's the biggest thing? Have you got anything on your schedule today that you're going to see? Well, uh, forget what, uh, head, head tech. I think it's an interesting phrase. I think it's one. What does that mean? So pedagogy within technology. So not technology for technology's sake. Yeah. Uh, uh, making it an integral part, not a bolt-on but there for a purpose. And so that's quite interesting. I'm going to go and have a look at that. That's 12, 12.30, I think. Excellent. Okay. Um, and you're going to start listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, of course. Yeah. So you haven't heard of it. I haven't heard of it. I have so Get off our stand. Go on. Go away. <laughs> go and follow us on Spotify. Go on. Yeah, I'm going to go away with you. Um, thank you, Michael, for your yeah. time. Nice one. Cheers. Cheers. This is Teachers Talk Radio at The Bet Show. You probably just heard a big crash. That was the that was the W sign of the company logo falling down, which could be could be an issue for the stand that I'm on right now. But hey, it, it was funny. Um, I'm joined by Mark Jowett from Sound Ideas, who's the creative director of Sound Ideas. That's correct. Yes, thank um, you, Mark. Do you want to tell us what you're doing here at the Bat Show? First of all, yeah. So we've been invited along by New Line Interactive to showcase some of the latest products for sound within uh, the classroom environment. Tell us something about the most exciting development or piece of technology that you think is available for sound in the classroom right now that you either you either do or you know of. Right, so um, sound is one of the most undervalued, overlooked areas in the classroom. If you think that the pacing of any lesson starts with the teacher, that they don't have amplification of their own voice uh, within the classroom. So there's a product, many products, um, which fall under a, a, a category called Soundfield. And one of the best ones on the market is one called the Front Row Juno. Okay, tell me about that. So it, this is where the teacher wears a mic. Uh, there's also a student for the uh, pupil to give them a voice uh, because obviously asking questions in a loud environment within the classroom. 
some children may not have the voice to actually project. Yes. So this particular device connects to any interactive white screen and will amplify the sound both for mainstream students and fully inclusive of any student with hearing impairment. When you say amplifies the sound, you mean it comes through the speakers on the whiteboard it or, on the, it, it, or in the classroom? It comes through the speakers from the Juno, which then obviously, if it's for a hearing impaired student, then it would go directly into their hearing aid. Um, and also for the main students, the clarity of sound envelops the classroom compared to one direction from any of the major panels. As good as the speakers are that these systems come with, they are only one directional, whereas... Can you explain that one directional thing so, so to people it, who don't know? Because yeah. I'm currently teaching everyone out there in a in a, uh, a school for the, a special school for deaf children yeah. in, in Bolton um, part-time. So this is really interesting to me. When I'm teaching, I wear a device around my neck for anyone who doesn't understand what I'm talking about here. Um, all the students have hearing aids and that sound from that I'm talking goes through that device into their hearing aids. Yeah. But I suppose what I'm asking is, what's the difference between the device you're talking about and that device? Right, so uh, you will just have a direct one-to-one -one connection with the pupils wearing a hearing aid. The device you're wearing is not connected to any, any of the interactive panels available. So one side of it, they hear your voice clearly, but they're not picking up the presentations, the, the music that's coming from the interactive screens. So there's a, a particular system called rebroadcasting where the Front Row Juno and other products in that um, area connect to your device that you're wearing around the neck and then everybody hears a clarity of sound. Whereas normally a, uh, the sound waves go in a straight line and maybe then bounce off the walls and stuff. Whereas the sound field actually provides uh, and envelops the space going from low, medium, and high, much like you have at a cinema, yeah. the, the, the sound waves actually go all the way through and then sort of envelop the space, but it's such a crystal clear sound. So what's the name of this device? Well, the, the, the device is called a Front Row Juno. That's just one brand. Um, this is provided by Sound Ideas through many of the uh, distribution channels available to schools. Yeah. But we also provide, uh, through Sound Ideas, a 14-day trial period where they can actually test the unit, test see yeah. the impact for the students, both from a mainstream and hearing impaired. But the biggest benefit of that is the teacher. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mark, what are you looking for? Final question for you. What are you looking forward to seeing at BET today? Why are you here? What are you going to see? Well, I've come along with my colleague, Adam Lee. He's from SpeakSee. And we will be speaking to him later. Yeah, he'll be show showcasing one of the best transcribing packages available um, um, interpreters are very expensive in the hearing impaired market. This product actually um, has multiple inputs, yeah. so up to 10 people can be talking all at the same time. You see their um, words as colour-coded onto the interactive screen. I know when you'd be talking, when I'm talking, it, it transfers multi-language, so you could be talking in French, I could be talking in Brazilian, and uh, it would actually put it that, those subtitles on English. Amazing. So that's one of the more exciting products. Well, and that's on New Line as well. I um, will look I will look forward to that. We are here all day at that show at the New Line stand. It's NL31 um, in the hardware section. So if you happen to be at Bet and you're listening to this, then come along. Um, if you're listening back to this as a podcast, then that was Mark Jowett, who's the creative director of Sound Ideas. And we will be hearing more across the day on Teachers Talk Radio. This is Teachers Talk Radio at the Bet Show.
Hello everybody and welcome back to The Bat Show. Uh, we are coming towards the end. Uh, day three, we are at 4pm. Um, Gary's next to me from New Line, struggling, I'm struggling, out on our feet. There's still presentations going on from our arch enemies around us. Um, Gary, how's your three days been? Do you know what? I, um, I'd i missed a couple of bets. So I've been back in the classroom um, yeah. and you forget as a, as a supplier, as a vendor, what the show actually means to you. So from, I, I totally understand. Teachers come here and they want the experience of every product, every service. And well, there's another happy customer for us, but... Uh, they won't hear that. Oh, they? damn. God, well, there, was a, there, was a big, there was a big cheer then. That, trust there was a big me, guys, cheer because Gary started talking. Yeah. Um, but, um, and so from, from our point of view, we have to make sure that everything works. Everything shows our products off in the best lights. But also, we try and take away the pain points. So teachers are coming, and there's enough going on. And we could we could go off on a real tangent here about what the pressures that they're under. The last thing they need is not knowing that technology is going to work and help them. So loads of, loads of my questions have just been, how can we do this? How can we do that? And I mean, the journey for New Line has been for the last couple of years. It's been oh, New Line. Now we've got New Line users coming to us and saying we want to do more, can we do this? And at that point, it gets really exciting because you've almost got customers aiding other customers. You've got teachers listening to someone else asking the question, actually taking over my demo. Um, which shows... you've, had some, you've had some exciting speakers come over, haven't you, onto the New Line stand. Um, they've been doing little mini presentations, micro presentations. You've had yeah. Jody Lopez, you've had Simon Hunt, you've had Martin Bailey. You had? Martin Bailey. Um, so we've had um, Simon uh, Hughes, lo loads of people around who, what I wanted to do is, the stands can be quite repetitive. So you look around the bet show and you want something a little bit different. So I, I was dedicated to getting a, a theatre area on, on the booth so that people can actually see either technology in action or an educational message that they could take away and maybe help one person either in an hour of need or with a solution to a problem. I mean, it was, it's interesting with New Line, because I'm new to the whole world of screens, yep. right? But New Line do, I mean, we're, just to sort of describe to people where we're sat, we're sat on the New Line stand and around us we've got screens. How big are these screens that we're looking at? So we've, there's, we've got the 75, the 86, and then the 98 in the theatre area. Yeah, and they're crystal clear, but I'm wondering what is... What is better about this screen as opposed to another screen? Are there any sort of points where you go, yeah, this is better? Um, I mean, I'm try trying not to go into a full sales pitch. For well, no, I, I don't, I'm genuinely asking. I'm not, I'm not asking from a sort of sales perspective. I'm just asking you, what so, makes that unique then? Maybe not so, better, but unique. Yeah. So to me, it was the ecosystem. Okay. So it's, it's, about not, it's about making sure it's not just the screen. Okay. I think, um, I mean, we've, we've all obviously uh, a little bit little bit older and wiser than we were when we first went into teaching, but there was a lot of money pumped into schools and boxes and technology just arrived. Yeah, there's and been a lot of trends and sort of, um, yeah. uh, what do you call it? Fads. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I've probably been, probably been riding, riding some of those, but um, I could look at this and think, there is something for the IT managers so they can manage updates, they can look after the technology okay. and they can make sure that teachers are 
able to teach when they go into yeah. the classroom and not yeah. facing that update yeah. screen yeah. and everything yeah. like that. Plus also the software and it can be on the screen, Windows-based or cloud-based. So trying to hit okay. every marketplace. And the nice thing, I've also had um, Apple users coming up and saying, oh, we, we struggle to get connection. We struggle to get that interactivity. When they say connection, what do they mean by that? Well, it's With, that, it's that the one, it's, no, no, it's that one cable into a screen. Oh, right, so okay. they get everything yeah. working. And they've just been able to do it. Even yeah. on the stand, they've brought yeah. their device and oh, just really? gone, connect up, here we go. And at that moment, that's why New Line is being as successful as it is. Yeah. Because it's allowing teachers to teach. The business side of the school can make sure that they're maintained. Yeah. Warranty being second to none anyway. Um, and knowing that if anything does go wrong, we're there at the end of a phone and with free training for teachers yeah. online every week, why wouldn't you buy more? Yeah, so we've had a, a few had teachers have come over and, and sort of I've seen them talk and then they seem really sort of um, excited about it um, on, a, on a lot of levels. Um, the, the thing that I would ask as well is on... Um, sort of, I want to talk a little bit about you and your move from teaching to work. New Line seems yeah. like a great team. Seems like a great, you know, I've been on the stand here with Teachers Talk Radio for, for three days. Um, we've got our own little sort of stand here within the New Line area. Um, and it seems like a really good sort of atmosphere and, and, and a really good. I mean, I'm wondering what the contrast is between the team you work in now and how it was for you as a teacher or in other environments you've worked in. Ed education's difficult. Um, and I we can talk about pressure on, on teachers. I mean, um, my, my other half was a teacher, so I, I saw both sides, and especially two teachers in the household, there, there were days where you both knew exactly what time of year it was because of either reports or... Or you were sick. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, um, but, you, but you look at it, and with this, the nice thing I've found is, and I, having gone, having taught, gone into industry, gone back to teach, and then come back into industry again, there were pluses and minuses both ways. The, the pluses around teaching are seeing the students succeed is still the biggest buzz ever. And, it, and, and that, will, that sounds cheesy, it sounds corny, and it sounds like I'll be saying it just for this podcast, but it's true. And the nice thing is I've been able to walk through the town where, where you've taught or something like that, and someone will walk past and they'll still, even if they don't say anything, it's the smile, the nod, the acknowledgement of, of yeah, so, something, went, well, something good happened there. But then with this, I know I can make a difference across maybe a school, yeah. a trust, yeah. or with the help of other providers, yeah. make a larger difference in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we, it's very different with teachers. You're very close to each other. So good relationships mean it's a very nice workplace. But as we all know within schools, that can also mean that a bad workplace can be extremely toxic for any teacher. Now... Unfortunate. I, my experiences have not been like that. But ex-union rep, understanding that things cannot always be good for everyone everywhere. Yeah. yeah. With New Line, it's about having trust not only higher up, but yeah. also trust coming down to me. Yeah. But also knowing that if you do have an issue, you can just phone someone or or get that help. Not only in the UK, but New Line being worldwide. Yeah. Means that that support or that example could come from anywhere. Yeah. So if one of our listeners is working in a school and they are fed up of their sort of technology within the classroom, as in 
be sort of visual displays and, and, and projector units or whatever it is that you're sort of using in there. Uh, what do they do if they want to find out more about New Line? So, very, very simple. New Line dash interactive.com. That's it. And tell us, tell us how they find you in particular. So, they can find me. Um, Twitter is my, is my biggest space. I'm afraid they would have to put up with the odd football referee rant as well. I mean, I, being a teacher and a football referee was probably two of the, two of the things that most, most people wouldn't, wouldn't recommend putting together. But at Gary C. Beckett on Twitter, they can ask me any questions they want. Send me a DM, send me whatever they want at all. And um, yeah, get in touch, get technology working. Brilliant, fantastic. Gary, it's been, it's been great the last three days I've on the it. stand. It's been a lot of fun. And um, yeah, so thanks. Thank and you very much. To you and you line. This is Teachers Talk Radio at The Bet Show. Hello, uh, we've got another visitor to the, to the Teachers Talk Radio stand at Bet Show. Hi, I'm Dave. Introduce yourself. I'm Dave Godfrey, I'm a maths consultant, um, but I'm here with Findel Education because they've got a brand new educator hub that has been launched here at Bet this week. I'm part of that. Okay, uh, tell us a bit more about that then. Well, the Educator Hub, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited. I, I can think tell. Something, something new. I mean, you can tell on the video how just, excited he is by it. It's just something different. I've worked in education for 30 years. I've specialised in mathematics for the last 20 or so. I've got my own specialisms within that in terms of using story, video, song, creativity, and teaching mathematics. And what's happened is that Findel have, have basically got a new hub that's designed to be a creative tool to help teachers create their own lessons, to adapt existing ones, to effectively network with others, share lessons with people all over the place. But that as part of their offering, they've asked some consultants like myself, one consultant at the moment from each of the areas of the curriculum, and I've asked me to do the mathematics, they've asked us to create some MAL lessons, which are like high quality, high end lessons to tackle the most difficult bits of mathematics. Well, for me, in mathematics, that we have teachers primary school. So that's the idea. So I've created these well lessons. Uh, we've been uh, we've been video recording as part of it videos to help staff really understand conceptually what's going on. So for example, I've done a lesson in year four lesson about short division. It's a procedure that we do without understanding, but what is the understanding behind it? So a little video to help teachers understand how to do it, and then built a lesson around it that reveals conceptually what's really going on creative fun food sort of ideas so on the hub um, it's a free free hub to join that's what you, you it's called you for educational hub uh, so educator hub so it's free to join but there is the, the opportunity to access some of these really powerful well lessons that are set out for you objectives main part of lesson intros except for you all the way to your primary cross your powerpoints and downloadable stuff so you could take if you signed up for this you could take a wow lesson then adapt it and make it super creative for yourself and use it yourself. So they're high-end, modelling effectively really good teaching on this platform. Got you. That's part of it, but there's also a big part of it in terms of just the, the staff being able to create their own, share amongst teaching their own school, share with other staff in other schools, really high-quality content. Love it. Behind it. Love it. I think okay. So um, what stall are you on at Pet? That's a very good question. Well, actually, we're in the main boulevard. Wow. There's two, there two pods either end. We're not in any of the sides with the stalls. We're in the, in the, I've been in pod, the foyer in area. The, yeah, mate. Pod one and pod two. I've, I've been on pod two. 
Um, there's a, a massive, embarrassing picture of me in the middle of it. I can't miss it. So uh, you, who is down at centre. Um, so yeah, we've been just chatting to teachers, consultants, people from all over. And I think what, there's various things that have struck people actually. Like, it's been really interesting because I've, I've done all this stuff in the background preparing yeah. lessons and I didn't see the platform until yesterday. And there's things that I thought, that is really good. It looks really good. Functionality is really good. They, and it just looks amazing. And, Are you and, talking about the picture of your face now? Yeah, the yeah, there's a bit. Well, I, yes, that, I'd say it just looks pretty good. That, that is okay. But, <laughs> that's a web like. But then <laughs> the functionality of the quality. And, I've, and there's been every teacher or head teacher I've spoken to, and there's some of the head teachers, in fact, I was talking to a head teacher yesterday who I know from my consultancy work. Um, and usually when you're, when you're presenting something new and explaining something, Someone will take things off you when you're like, mm, yeah, that sounds good. Mm, that's okay. But when you know somebody, they give you feedback. They, they say what, what they think is good for. And these guys, say, and they were just saying, this works great. It feels really good, the functionality. And one, one ticker head teacher said, this will be really good for my ECTs because you're actually you're giving them structure to help them plan these really easily and to share stuff in the school. But you're also giving them this the CPD side of things and, and you're, you're really helping support them in high quality lessons. So that was a particular thing for her. Another head teacher I spoke to said, I just love that planning structure, the way that that's going to really help me develop things across schools. It's just if different people are picked up on different elements, but I'm just delighted how good it looks and how the functionality of it. It's Fantastic. As, as an educator. Thanks very much for coming over and so sharing it and um, see you again soon. Yeah. This is Teachers Talk Radio at The Bet Show. Hi Sven, thanks for coming over to the TTR stand. Uh, great to see you here. Do you want to tell us who you are and what you do? Hi, my name is Sven Huber. I'm co-founder and CEO of Fiction Express. Fiction Express is a reading and literacy platform for primary and secondary schools. And the uniqueness of our way of doing things is, is how we publish our stories. We publish our stories in weekly chapters, and every week the students decide how the story continues based on online voting and online conversations with the author. So it is a way to really engage kids into reading because we believe that is very, very important to develop solid reading, a solid reading habit and, and reading comprehension skills very early. And yeah, it's just a wonderful way to use technology uh, to be able to create a new way of reading. Got you, okay. Um, I mean, what sort of drove you and inspired you to make this product? We started off actually 11 years ago with, with different business models working with families. But ultimately we, we saw that if we really want to have a profound impact in society, we have to go through schools. And then we looked at, at business models uh, that are around and, and found this little idea as a li very small project here in the UK and, and then took this idea and, and really brought it worldwide. We are now in, in over 8,000 schools in 60 countries. Uh, we do this in English, English as a second language and also in Spanish language. And it's wonderful to see how we create and inspire children uh, for reading. Fantastic. So Sven, um, if people want to find out more about you, what do they do? They can just come to our website, uh, fictionexpress.com. Uh, we always give uh, free access to teachers for a couple of months. 
because we want to make it really easy for them to discover our product and actually bring it into the classroom and see the reaction of their, their students. So that's the easiest way um, to yeah to find out more about Fiction Express. Thanks for popping over to the TTR stands, Ben, and good luck for the rest of the show. Thank you very much. This is Teachers Talk Radio at the Bet Show. Hi everyone, uh, we're once again live at Teachers Talk Radio uh, at the Bet Show. I'm on the show floor um, with Matt from Envoy Learning, who's very nervous about speaking right now, but he shouldn't be because we're all <laughs> friends here. Um, now, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing here today? Yeah, I mean, essentially and primarily, we're here to show off Envoy Learning and what we can do to support teachers' CPD. Uh, so the, the product itself is dead simple. Uh, we're a 360 video lesson capture solution designed to support whatever a teacher happens to be looking to improve and primarily actually celebrate what they're doing really well. Uh, you know, in today's environment, we think that's really important. Okay. What do you think are the biggest... What if, if, you were, if you were in a school now and you had a budget, yep. apart from Envu, because yeah, yeah. that would be too obvious, what, what would you be investing in or what would excite you as an investment opportunity? Really interesting. So from a, a very teaching and learning point of view, just investing in our teachers and the resources that they identify are going to make the biggest difference. So whether it's a modern version of an old-fashioned textbook that gives them confidence about their content or if it's a tool that's going to enable you know, some of our most vulnerable children to access the same kind of learning experiences as their peers, that's what I'd be looking at right now. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point about, I heard, heard someone earlier talking about head-ed, yeah. which is this idea of pedagogy first and then the tech sort of wrapping around or yeah, yeah. like providing for the, for the pedagogy. Um, I wondered, like, for you, how, do, how does your organisation ensure that that is the case? So because of the nature of the, the solution that we have, it's about giving a teacher a, a, a holistic view of their entire classroom space. So if a teacher, for example, decides that today they're going to deploy, say, iPads to support content delivery in a particular fashion, when the teacher looks back and self-reflects on that, is what they think occurred actually what occurred? And did the children in that corner over here really get that learning experience that on reflection from their memory, the teacher thought they had? And we want to take away some of the, the myth and legend around what it takes to be a great teacher, because teachers know what they're doing. They're there for a really good reason. And to remove that sense of, you know, you must be observed by a third-party expert to get that, I think is a really powerful thing. But to your point, a teacher can see and understand whether or not that just works. And if not, why? In the lead-up or after the event and where it did work, how could they rinse and repeat that again and again? So it's just habitual to me. It just takes all the stress out of it, hopefully, you know. Yeah. What are you looking for? Are you planning to see any talks today at yeah. that show? Yeah. I mean, aside from, I mean, obviously our own stage but I'm also really interested to hear about what's going on in the teaching and learning platform. Uh, some really interesting speakers that I hope are going to give folks a sense of calm around what schools are schools. They're not hospitals, fire stations or anything else. They're there because children have a right to learn. They have a right to learn in safe environments where the teachers there care about what they're going to do in the future. That's what I'm interested to hear about is how folks in the sector are going to do that. And it's also what I'm interested in looking at as other ed techs are those that are complementary to a 
collaborative approach to giving teachers that self of or sense of self empowerment. You know, just really focus on what they're there to do. Got you, got you. Um, Matt, it was a pleasure. Thanks very much Love for coming you. over. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll speak again soon. This is Teachers Talk Radio at the Bet Show. Oh, no, I'm not. Hello, Hello and welcome back to the show floor of Teachers Talk Radio. We are live with Bobby the Barman, providing us drinks all day on the New Line stand. It really is fantastic here. Beer, coffee, hot chocolates, anything you could ask for from Bobby the Dutch Barman, and we will leave his contact details on the podcast for you. Um, I'm now joined by Nadine, who is the founder and managing director of the Happy Confident Company. Nadine, what are you doing at Bet Show today? Hi, Tom. Um, well... We're here with the Happy Company Company. We create well-being program for kids uh, in schools and families. And there are a lot of uh, partners here that we come and visit. Uh, we also have Kelly Hannigan, who works with us on teacher well-being, who's presenting at the show, and she's also working with us. So it's really a great opportunity to meet people that, unfortunately, we usually see on Zoom. Interesting enough, you just told me a little bit about what you do. Really interesting stuff. Um, essentially, it focuses around... I guess children's well-being. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about it? What you actually do? Yeah, sure. You know, we believe um, kids are really going through a tough time at the moment, and so our programs help develop social emotional learning. Develop. Uh, so we've got journals, mindfulness journals. So it helps uh, kids focus on the positive each day. They also get to learn character skills such as self-awareness, self-acceptance creativity, mindfulness, the growth mindset, all this through video programs presented by Emma Willis, through journals and through um, games and a lot of activities that we provide to schools. And yeah, and it's, it sounded you know, really interesting to me. And what are you sort of looking forward to for the rest of the day? Is there anything particularly you're going to watch or do today? That you're looking forward to apart from obviously speak to me now yes absolutely you came in just to speak to me exactly you? absolutely no you didn't no, well, you the, didn't. the thing is we actually there's the um the uae government here and we're yeah. in talks with them we'd love to actually we're in talks to grow this across the whole uae so that's the ideal opportunity for us obviously because we our programs really make a huge difference on pupils and teachers but obviously there's also other opportunities with partners here who are already super well placed and because we're relatively new but people are starting to hear from us with all the testimonials great testimonials we got we want to accelerate our growth uh, by meeting partners who are already very present in schools fantastic well thanks very much for coming over nadine and we'll speak to you again soon thank you i hope so tom thanks a lot this is teachers talk radio at the bet show hello and welcome back again to that show. And we've got another visitor on the Teacher Talk Radio stand, NL31 with New Line. Do you want to introduce yourself? Thank you. Good morning. My name's Ian Ridsdale. I head up the public sector here in the UK. And within that, it comes his education. And I'm pleased to launch an exciting new opportunity for teachers here in the UK. Tell us about it. So, uh, our owner and founder at Fortinet uh, was in a summit at the White House last year to look at the challenging bridge and skills gap. And oh, I was security. there for that as well. And he pledged at that That's moment in time. You didn't laugh at my joke. You were there. It wasn't really. Sorry. That's, anyway, you, you missed the joke. Oh, I do I apologize. Like, I was there as well. You brushed over that. You didn't care that I, I was there with Joe were. Biden. I thought you were. whiskey. He's got carry on. So at that point, he wanted to bridge the cybersecurity gap. So made a pledge to provide free cybersecurity awareness and training 
to a million educators across the US. At VET two days ago, I'm pleased to announce we launched it and we're rolling it out into the UK. What does this mean then for schools and teachers? It means that schools and teachers can get hold of free, purpose-built cyber security training and awareness modules that they can access for all of their school staff. Admin, teaching versus trustees, whatever their school community may well be. They can access it for three years for free to raise the awareness of cybersecurity to try and prevent all those issues and unfortunate accidental clicks that may result in ransomware and, and, and serious issues and problems within their education institutions. I mean, tell us a bit more for the listener about the threats to schools in terms of cybersecurity. I mean, what, what are the threats? So the main one is always and has always been email and we're still continuing to be so. Uh, unfortunate clicking usually around social engineering where an email looks like it is actually from a genuine person and a few key things would be to look at the email address because there's probably slight misspelling or a letter or something missed some urgency some idea of needing to do something quickly and, and click on it and click here may well be socially engineered from the perspective of a link to their institution or something their bank or, or something of that nature just with a view to getting access into the education institutions network i mean it's it's really interesting because i know i was speaking actually to a teacher i think it was yesterday who said that their whole school had been hacked uh, the whole network was down two weeks without emails two weeks without yep. being able to access anything so it is obviously a, a big issue it's probably an emerging issue as well in terms of it becoming more prevalent would you say it is and, and global um reports and, and and surveys have said that over the last two years, it's grown again from over 80 to 84%. Is it coming from sort of foreign actors? Is that it's coming the main... from everywhere. Foreign everywhere. actors, but everywhere on all different levels, from small remote malware to, to everything to full-blown state institutionalised. The only thing I would ask ask these people to do, if you kind of sort out the bet Wi-Fi, can you call them and tell them to sort out a new Wi-Fi for bet? It's not within my remit. <laughs> However, yeah, but you've been the White House, or was that you? you no, know, I didn't you've go been the White House. Unfortunately, no. Why well, can't you tell him to tell uh, Joe well, Biden to get down the Excel center and sort out the Wi-Fi uh, for him? I'm not commenting <laughs> on that. Um, so <clears> what <throat> I would say though is, if you go to the Fortinet UK website, they will at the moment see the US version as I've just mentioned, but our UK version will be launched soon. And I, I, and that's for all schools, all schools in the UK. Okay. The, the aim is for us to educate and raise awareness in over a million educationalists within the UK in the next three years. Wow. Impressive stuff. Thanks for visiting the stand. Thank you for your time. This is Teachers Talk Radio at The Bet Show. It's Lena, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Well, thank you. So what, uh, what have you enjoyed looking at at The Bet Conference What have I enjoyed so looking at? Actually, just the different stands and the, all the different technologies, a little bit mind-blowing. I think for people walking around, the future is here. It is. Very, it very is. sensory overload, it isn't is. it? There's a it lot is. of things to see. Yeah. So what are you here to do? I'm here to talk to schools and colleges about Skilding, which is a careers teaching tool for teachers. And it's one of the, own, the only tool that teachers can use careers because all the other careers tools are aimed at students to navigate. Oh I see. So it's 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 for teachers who careers advisors at school. No, it's for teachers when you're teaching to link the curriculum to careers. And it answers that perennial question from students, when am I ever going to use this? 
because I'm a teacher, but I founded this, I've, I've built this platform with a team of people. And what it is, it's a curated video library organized by subject. And each video is about one and a half to four minutes long. And what teachers do is in the lesson they can use it. So it's very simple, three steps, log in, click on a subject, get a drop down list of huge range of careers, click on a video to play or copy the link and embed it in the presentation. It's as simple as that. So it saves them time searching for resources, very easy to use in lesson and of course it meets Gatsby benchmarks and it answers that question, when am I ever going to use this? Absolutely. That is yeah. a question. I used to teach A-level politics for a lot, yeah. many, many years. Yeah. And students would say, well, uh, I don't want to be a politician. Well, no, of course, there was journalism and so on and yeah. so on. Well, this, it, what it does, it builds the imagination of students of this world of career opportunities that they would never have imagined. And it builds it visually because they, the films, the films are about their careers they get to see somebody working as an engineer they get to see somebody in an office uh, on a on an oil rig so it not only tells them but they see it and people are talking about their careers as how they got there how they changed from one career so, path to another so etc the, the kind of case studies and well it's it's not just it's more than case studies people just talking right. this is what i do this is how i got here etc uh, etc et but being able to see it visually and then in the different subjects they see all the different videos so overall they get this huge world of career opportunities open and in a way it's that missing link between the classroom and careers education because what skilled in does is it lights that spark of career ambition that leads the students to make better use of existing careers resources. So it's that missing link. And does it have a button that says what to do if you don't want to be a teacher anymore? Yeah, but we keep that very quiet. That's <laughs> a, a higher level. At a higher level. <laughs> if you start losing teachers, please don't blame Absolutely. Skilled in. No, no, no. Yeah. That sounds fascinating, yeah. really. Uh, that is a question uh, I've been asked a lot in my teaching career as to what, what how can you become this? What's the pathway to, 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 to this particular career? Yeah, and that's why I talk about skilled in being that missing link because students, there's a lot of information about the different career paths, going to university, doing apprenticeships, etc. But where's that impetus that leads students to start looking? And that's what skilled in does. It lights that spark of career ambition. And uh, here at the conference, are you getting much interest? In getting a lot of interest, yeah. Um, obviously mainly from teachers and I'm speaking to careers advisors or IT people or head teachers but this all it's um it's on it's also on the careers and enterprise company on their website as one of the resources so it's being it's being promoted that way as well yeah sounds, sounds great thank you so I'll much John. look at it right away yeah and thank you for the opportunity to have this chat You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.